This is Kerry Uridine, and you're listening to Normandy FM Cyberpunk 2077 Retrospective. Welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful ensemble group edition of Normandy FM. That's right. It's a special episode, y'all. And to, to get you in on what's going on here, I'm one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how are you feeling today? I don't feel. That's that's fair. That's allowed, I think. In, in the cyberpunk future, feeling mm. is, uh, is a bug, frankly. Mm-hmm. It's a glitch that we're going to patch out. Mm-hmm. Version 1.02 uh yeah we're god starting on one <laughs> dour note mm. um, well, i mean it's gonna be a yeah, dour episode i i think so it's we kind of go all over the place in this episode and you're, you're listening to this we have already recorded one chunk and have yet to record two other chunks because we are doing the side quests of act two this is probably the largest section of the game in terms of like broad content we're trying to cover but uh the way Ken and I have kind of come up with the system and I'll let Ken explain this a little bit more in depth is that uh, we have certain side quests that we're going to spend time on and really dive into. Uh, Can you kind of go over like what kind of criteria we had for that, Ken? Yeah. So we, I mean, there wasn't necessarily like, there wasn't hard criteria, but like as I was playing through this game, you know, ahead of schedule, because I have a problem, um, (laughs) I you know, I came across various side quests that did not feel like they really merited us like carving out time to do them where there were some that I think were actually like really, really meaningful and really important. And we had guests who wanted to come on for, you know, one or two of those. And rather than try and, cause like, I, I always feel bad if we have a guest on and the episode goes on for like an extremely long time. And I'm just like, Oh man, I'm so sorry that I've taken up so much of your time and your, your day and that you're going to stay here at your desk. And it's probably very uncomfortable and you probably feel very stiff and you feel like you need to get up and stretch. But we had the great idea to, instead of, like, bringing everybody on at once to talk about all of the things, we just break it up into segments. And we would have, you know, short sections where we that we would just, you know, splice together in one episode for people to come on and talk about various quests that they really, you know, that stood out to them in the game. And I think that's going to be probably just the best way for us to go about this, because, like, collectively, you and I are going to spend several hours in, in this episode talking about mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um... We just want to give like people an opportunity to like tag out basically and not have to be you know stuck listening to every quest, even the ones they didn't really feel that invested in that maybe you and I, who are currently playing this game, might feel more invested in. Whereas you know some people were you know a lot of people were still operating off memories from two years ago when they first played this right, game and right. you know it was miserable slog. But then there you know there were those little nuggets of good side quests and writing and design that stuck out to them that they still remember after all this time. 
Yeah, this is, I, I almost see this as like a test pilot run for if we want to keep doing more open world type games and explore more of these larger games that have so many different things off the beaten path and, and important things that are kind of set to the side uh, and optional, you know, maybe if we ever do a Witcher 3 season, perhaps. We will uh, not. <laughs> uh, I, I do think it's an interesting test run for us to do it this episode. And this, you know, we're kind of seeing how this works. We're kicking the tires a little bit. And I, I, I don't think this will shift any sort of major content change moving forward or anything but i do think this gives us uh, another club in the bag so to speak when it comes to handling stuff like cyberpunk mm. where there's so much content and so much to dig through especially so much to sift through at the end of the right. day uh and so we have i i pulled up the list we have uh alan torres will be coming on to talk about gun music and heroes uh we have andrew king coming on to talk about Sinnerman and uh human nature uh epistrophe the sort of delamain side quests mm -hmm. as they were which you know i'm thrilled mm -hmm, to mm -hmm, talk mm -hmm. about just absolutely and then we have a few more after that that are just kind of ones that that ken has identified as uh worthy of us giving like the normandy fm treatment you know diving deeper into uh picking apart ken did say short uh, when when really shorter is probably the better mm. <laughs> phrase for this. I do imagine that by the end of this, it will still be w one long, long episode for us. But uh, we will we'll do our best to keep things concise while also letting our guests you know have their time to, to chat about things and discuss stuff. Um, we've already recorded the Alan section, and it was great. And I'm really looking forward to all the other sections we have coming up and we'll put in some like transition sound effects and stuff so you know when we're going from one segment to another and all that but without much further ado let's get into it with our first segment now this is Kerry Uridine and you're listening to Normandy FM Cyberpunk 2077 Retrospective Hello and welcome to another X. Oh my god, I did oh, it you, again. I you, did you, it. The thing Fuck. we just went through. <laughs> Jesus. I got I got in the zone. I'm sorry. This is me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, you don't have to like start oh over. My I'm gonna god. keep that. I was just about to I was just about <laughs> to like go. We can't have that be the start to this segment, Ken. <laughs> we can't. Well, I'm the one that edits the show, so <laughs> it's authentic. <laughs> <laughs> we're, it's a moment we're here it's a moment we're here with 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 alan torres alan how are you doing today <laughs> i'm great i'm great that was a good intro it's, <laughs> it's automatic it's, it's just a switch it just turns on it's okay <laughs> oh alan uh Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and, and join in what is already just a train wreck of a Normandy FM episode. <laughs> no problem. Thank you um, for having me. <laughs> why, why don't you tell the folks at home a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do uh, during your, your day job, and, and uh, also how you kind of got into cyberpunk and, and why maybe you specifically chose the quest that we're going to talk about today? Sure. Um, so those are kind of linked, but uh, I'm a producer over at IGN. So um, I work on our daily news shows. I work on some of our podcasts as well um, and sort of covering cyberpunk as I have been since almost since it was announced. Um, 
just on my own channel. Uh, mm -hmm. That sort of led me to working at IGN in a way. That was a lot of the work that I showed them. Oh, that's um, awesome. And yeah, so I'm just a, a super fan. I'm sitting next to a, a vending machine that I made, a replica vending machine that I made from the game. And I no have shit. my Kang Tao oh, headset on right now. Heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have an expert in our presence, Eric. <laughs> That's, that's rad. How how did you go about making your own vending machine? I actually like don't know how one does. Do you just like so, did you purchase a vending I mean, machine and so like kind of like, like edit it or? To be fair, um, it's it's a it's like a miniature for my desk. It's just like a desk oh, toy. Oh, okay, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the functioning. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Alan has a it dispenses whole small candies at most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, but it was basically just. <laughs> painting it in cyberpunk colors and jamming a display into it so that it plays the video ads just on a loop from the game oh, that's dope. and oh, that uh, really along cool. with the sound and yeah <laughs> it was a nerdy um little pet project during a uh, quarantine so <laughs> uh, we all had them we all, yeah. we all got some, some stuff in quarantine and it sounds like yours turned out better than mine did uh so <laughs> kudos to you for that thank you um the the first mission we're going to talk about today is gun music which i actually had to look up because i don't think i ever did this one in my first Same. playthrough of, of cyberpunk it was a really interesting one so kind of curious why you chose this one alan um yeah i mean it's just it's a cool little sort of side quest that i think shows it, it does something that i think the overall game has a serious struggle with which it makes you feel like night city is alive without you um mm -hmm. which i think is a really tough challenge for open world games is like making the player believe that this is a place that just exists whether or not you interact with it and i feel like cyberpunk when you try to push on that sort that illusion a little too much you see the strings very quickly especially depending on like what console you're playing on or if you're on pc mm -hmm. like you know it'll break itself sort of in front of you sometimes um and so this was just like you're driving around you could see you know you pull up to uh, this deal that's going on that has nothing to do with you. So it gives that nice sort of illusion. And um, I think it was just a really good uh, sort of example and sort of like learning point about the game where it's like they could have gone one step further, I feel like, um, just because of how that mission played out for me personally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think there was just like a little further they could have gone with some things in that mission that I think would have been really cool. It's interesting that you say that, too, because, like, when I got to it, like, I also felt bad that I stumbled upon it in, to begin with, because I felt like I made it worse just by being there. And Yeah. Yeah, and I don't I actually didn't know how it played out for you, Eric, but I guess we'll get to that. But, um, yeah, because, like, there aren't, I mean, the, the game, like, structures this open world stuff. Like, you know, it's got all these markers on the map that are, they just, like, vaguely say, like, who knows what you'll find if you go to something that you don't actually, like, yeah. have, like, a, a phone call or something into. And so I had to go looking, look, looking for this one as well, and... Just, like, I almost felt like, after it was all said, and I was like, maybe it would have been better if I hadn't been here. Maybe, maybe things would have gone better if I had just ignored this quest. I, I do think that's, like, a really interesting idea to set up, because this is actually, like, a pretty short quest, all things considered. Much shorter than mm -hmm. the other one we're going to be talking about uh, in this segment, but... Uh, the whole idea is that you, you walk up and for me, I was just kind of walking around the street and somebody hollered out at me like, Hey V. And I went over there and it was in all the caldo. Like he's a dude at, at a gate, like near this kind of like open parking area. Uh, who's like, Oh, I recognize you're from the all the caldo camp. And you know, it's, I, I'm assuming this means this quest can only really pop after you've done some of the Pan Am mm. stuff and, and gotten familiar with them. But, um, we find out that some of the nomads from the Aldecaldos, uh, Carol, Cassidy, and Teddy, 
are here making a deal with the scavengers or trying to make a deal. Uh, they're trying to sell some stuff off to the scavengers, but uh, apparently the, the deal's been taking some time and, and uh, the guy, the lookout is getting a little nervous about it. So we can, we can kind of, you know, opt to go in. Um, I mean, that is the way to progress the quest is to go say, Hey, we'll go check it out. We'll go find out what's going on. Uh, and we head inside and, and they're having a deal and the scavs uh, start getting a little nervous <laughs> due to our presence. Uh, they're a bit worried. We're, we're muscling in a little bit uh, and we can try to kind of negotiate and be like, hey, come on, let's let's wrap this deal up. You know what's going on here? You know, time is money. Money is time. Let's go. And after kind of a back and forth and, and the, the nomads getting frustrated with you, frustrated with V for, for showing up and causing some problems and the scavs finally um, relenting and holding up their end of the deal uh, after an agreed upon cut uh, due to lateness as they describe it. Uh, they're then like, actually we're not dealing with you at all. You thought we wouldn't recognize you. Uh, and they reveal that they're from the same crew that did all the Sandra Dorset stuff at the beginning mm-hmm. of the game. So that crew that you messed up at the beginning of the game uh, is here now, and uh, that's this is their friends, this is their their you know uh, fellow gang members, and there are dialogue options here. There was a like fist one that I did not have enough stats to Thanks. to check. Um, I don't know if any of those would actually work, but mine just resulted in a shootout (laughs) and I had to kill everybody. And the nomads were just kind of like, well, that went terribly. Thanks V, but I guess we can walk away with the cash now, at least like they, you know, they're like, we're, we're in terribly with the scavs. We're probably not going to be able to deal with the scavs again. Uh, But I guess we can just take the money off the dead bodies while we're here. And at least we got some cash for now. And that's the end of the quest. Good job, V. <laughs> and that's kind Thanks of an amazing lot. feeling, I think. You know, having, like, was me being involved here a good thing? Was the player getting involved in this situation a good thing? Arguably, no. And I kind of dug that a lot. Uh, it was it was a cool feeling. Yeah, I really appreciated that. Like, just, um, you're not the hero all the time is like mm-hmm. a really mm-hmm. good thing to point out to players. But like mm-hmm. I I approached that mission in reverse. I stumbled upon it. So I found the sniper that's hiding up behind all you guys, mm-hmm. uh, the scav sniper. I found him first and I killed him stealthily. So when I, you know, I went back around and then went through the whole, you know, conversation of like, we're doing this deal and, you know, the scavs aren't very happy and they're like, oh, we've got backup. And I would really I thought it would be so cool if like there was a reply where it could be like, yeah, well, they're already gone or, you know, Mm -hmm. just pointing out that you already took care of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there just wasn't. It kind of plays out exactly the same. I reloaded it to even check this. Um, Mm -hmm. It plays out exactly the same whether you stumbled upon that ambush or not. Um, I just thought it was just, you know, I adore cyberpunk so much. You know, I think it's a wonderful game. I had a great experience even from release because I played it on PC. Um, but I always felt that there are just these little moments where like if it just got pushed a little bit further, it would just be like perfect. And that was one of them where it was just be really cool, just like really badass to just say like, hey, I already took out all your guys in the back. You know, maybe you could have skewed the deal towards, you know, benefiting the Aldecaldos like that would have been really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had a I had a weird interaction because like I'm going as a three kid 
the end, immediately like the, there's this sense of like feeling like the autocodos are there and they they don't know what they've gotten themselves into because like you know they're not from Night City they don't know who like who the scavengers are and like what their mo is which is you know as we've learned throughout the game at this point you know often you know like taking people's parts and selling them and it got to the point where there was even a, there was a point where I picked a street kid option being like hey y'all don't really know what you're getting into and then one of the nomads says to me like spare us like you know like, don't look down on us, we know what we're getting into, and that was, like, that layered on top of it all going wrong, because I didn't have the body check to do it, because I've been primarily second towards stealth in this game anyway, so, like, I didn't have that strength, and then it all just, you know, it all went to shit, I mean, nobody died, so, like, I think, ultimately, I, I get to feel sorry for myself for a little bit, and not really have, like, much consequence in the long run, because I think mm-hmm. if it had, if it had gone, like, if there had been that, you know, that, that extra step of, like, consequence of, like, oh, if you did not pass that body check and you weren't able to, you know, finish the fight in a certain amount of time, somebody might have died, which I think we've played, we've, on the show we've done games like that had missions like that. I think there's some Mass Effect, yeah, it's the, when you're, you're recruiting Tally in Mass Effect 2, like, if you don't finish that shootout at the end, Cal Rear can die mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't finish it in a certain amount of time. And it's like, you know, again, like, like you're saying, I'm like, if there are these, they go, like, one step further, like, something can, that, that feels, you know, kind of like, for, it kind of felt like for me, like a real, a microcosm of, like, you know, stumbling into things that um, kind of felt, I mean, it not, I wouldn't even say that it felt, like, inconsequential, but it felt, like, very small in, in a way that did not feel like it had, like, you know, this uh, the same production value of a lot of the other quests that, like, you know, would, it feels like they put a lot of time into, but I guess, like, yeah. it just felt, I don't know, it, it felt kind of inconsequential in terms of just, like, I kind of just felt like I made things worse and then we all left. Yeah. Yeah. The the one thing that I'll say that I do like that it does is it acknowledges the passage of time and that V has done other things and those have had ripple effects in some ways in Night City. And I think the quest that maybe does it better, segue, is <laughs> Heroes because this is very much a continuation of the Jackie stuff, but also just feels like an acknowledgement of the passage of time in night city and how people are dealing with things over time. And I do find it interesting that I don't think heroes is time gated at all. So you could go do it right away, which is what Mm -hmm. I did when I played uh, this game. Every time I play this game, it's one of the first missions I do uh, once act two starts, but you could end up waiting a while. And I find that kind of interesting as well, that maybe there is like a need for some distance and some time before Mm -hmm. V is ready to, to face this but alan i wanted to ask you uh what is it about heroes that that really like made you want to talk about it today um well i to be honest i did not like jackie at all uh when mm. he was like just sort of revealed and when we got those trailers mm. um i just felt like he was very uh, a very like token kind of character very stereotypical mm. i mm. i almost could predict every single one of his lines in the trailer before he said right. them um and just yeah i felt like he just gave us this sort of you know i'm hispanic i feel like he gave us sort of this view that we get a lot in media and in games and stuff Mm. of like the hispanic gangster and you know he says Mm. the same three lines all the time and stuff but that mission in particular you know as well as sort of some of the other ones that you do with with jackie um completely changed my mind about him as a character and uh it Mm -hmm. made me wish that we we got to see him be like a brilliant character in his life and in his convictions, the way that you do with someone like Judy rather than right. through the tragedy mm-hmm. of his death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think we're going to end up resurfacing a lot of the stuff we had to say about Jackie around the heist and stuff like that, which was... I mean, this is honestly like Heroes. When I think of the side quests in Cyberpunk, I think of Heroes as one of the ones that really stood out. And, you know, again, because we we talked about this last episode as well, the idea that the game is giving you different verbs to work with, that you're not just kind of going around and doing the same things you always do. And there's a greater focus on being made aware of your environment and your surrounding and really like taking it all in and making use of the fact of having, you know, characters there that can kind of talk through different things. Uh, I, I think cyberpunk does really smart things when you can kind of walk around spaces and just kind of look at things and remark on them and have, you know, Johnny or Misty or like uh, Judy when you're in her apartment, like remark on things with you and kind of start discussions that way. Um, it's a really cool little thing we started by getting a call from well we call mama wells and and can offer our condolences for jackie um and and she's immediately like why are you being formal you know you right. lived with us uh, which is like was very heartwarming to me personally um like that acknowledgement that v is is part of the family in a way and is is also grieving i think that's like a very human thing is to feel like you need to sideline your own grief in favor of somebody else's and to like have mama wells be a character that is absolutely like no v you're grieving to like yours is not like worse or or less important than mine mm-hmm. and stuff like that it, it was just very it was very heartwarming right i um, thought it was really like realistic to like our culture as well it's just like mm-hmm. you know the sort of matriarchal figure that mama wells is like that she would almost like definitely consider v you know as as her kid as well by this point especially you know the montage of having lived together for months like this would have been not a formal relationship anymore um so i just love that she points that out and almost Mm -hmm. treats her like one of her kids Mm -hmm. uh we get told that she is preparing an ofrenda for jackie at uh her bar the coyote i think it's her yeah it is her bar uh the coyote coho um and that's the same one from the street kid origin Fun fact. Um, but we head there and Mama Wells and Pep are setting up and, and she offers us a beer and asks how we're doing. And we can be honest. And, you know, I like to be honest in this game, especially with certain characters. I think Mama Wells, it's absolutely like, hey, um, you know, you want to be honest. And she even points out, like, you could have come over for dinner. Like, we, we want to, like, she is very much in that that space of wanting to, like, care for V in this moment as well. Um like you were saying, Alan, you know, it's, it's V is, is kind of under her wing as well. And so she's both grieving, but also trying to take care of somebody who is obviously grieving and maybe not dealing well with it, mm. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. and not being <laughs> honest with everybody about how they're dealing with it. Um, and we, we kind of get the opportunity if we're not familiar. And, and I think it's assumed that V is not familiar with what an ofrenda is that, uh, we get kind of walk through what it is and that we, can go find something to to lay down for Jackie, uh, something symbolic, something that represents him in a way. And uh, she gives us the keys to his garage and says we can go find something of his uh, that we can bring in for the ceremony. Uh, and we head over and Misty is waiting outside by the door. Uh, we can kind of ask her what's going on. You know, what are you up to? And she's uh, she's waiting She's waiting for Jackie, even though she knows he's not showing up. He's not coming. 
Um, she says that she just kind of finds her way over there every now and then and just kind of waits there because it just feels right. Um, th- I'm sorry. This is a really emotional side quest that's hitting me a little bit harder than I thought it would. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we... Uh, we basically have a talk with her about like um, Jackie and how things are going. And uh, we can talk a lot about, you know, a lot of people didn't know the real Jackie and she got to know the real Jackie and, and everybody saw this kind of like lovable goofball who was always over the top and, and this big personality, but he also had a heart and, and one that he wore on his sleeve and he was a very, open and loyal friend and stuff. And, and we decide that we're going to go inside the garage and look around for stuff we can find for the ofrenda. And, and, uh, it's at this point that Misty says that mama Wells is not wild about Misty and she doesn't think it would be a good thing if she came in. And of course we insist that Misty has to be there, right? Like, come on, Mm -hmm. who, who amongst us is not doing that? Um, but this whole section I wanted to stop and talk about where, where we head inside the garage and we kind of look around at all of Jackie's stuff. And it's really bittersweet because I feel like on some level it is that, um, you know, we're learning so much about Jackie and in some ways many like aspects of Jackie we never got to see. And so part of me is like, oh, come on, like you, you're not going to have Jackie in the game at all and you're going to give us all this backstory about him now, like after he's dead. And then part of me is also like it weirdly reminds me of what remains of Edith Finch, because Mm -hmm. that was very much a game that resonated with me. And that was a game about how we can never truly know a whole of somebody and and how often times after somebody has passed, we go back through their things and learn so much so much info about somebody that we never knew in the first place and that mm-hmm. you know there were dimensions and aspects to people that we never got to see in our time with them um so i don't know i, I i'm kind of torn on this like what do y'all think about this this sort of like how we're getting a lot of jackie info but we're getting a lot of it like backloaded in a way mm-hmm. i think it's i'm a couple of mine because i think the framing of it like you know reflecting upon someone after they're gone feels like very like uh intrinsic to this game and like it, it seems like it's so much of it's about like what do you leave behind when you are gone if whether you're a legend like v as hypothetically aspiring to be or you're a person who kind of you know, goes out in the blaze of glory in a way that not everyone really recognizes right now uh like jackie did because i mean this is kind of what this um this entire you know funeral is going to be it's gonna, it's going to be talking about like the impact that he left behind when he didn't necessarily make it into the big leagues as he envisioned it where he was going to, you know, basically retire very young and, you know, have, live this glamorous life because he had, you know, done the big job. And we instead just get to sit, like, what he meant to the people around him. And, you know, that is something I think a lot of people, and, like, you know, and this game's talked about, like, I think people that are trying to be a legend in Night City lose sight of what they meant to the people just that are just right there in front of them. Um, and so I like that in terms of a larger sort of, like, thematic touchstone of Cyberpunk 2077, but it does still frustrate me in the end that, like, Jackie was a character that I started to really enjoy just as he was being dragged away from me. And so it's kind of, you know, I have a multifaceted feeling about it because I think it works for the story the game is telling, but ultimately makes me feel just, like, sad that I didn't get to spend more time with this guy. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that it like it really does lend to, you know, he's he's chasing, you know, the big leagues and he's always trying to be one step ahead of where he is. And I feel like that's a theme that like is pervasive through the entire culture of Night City. Everyone is always trying to be where they're not. Um, And I think that that's that's an incredible like just microcosm of that. Like this guy, you know, made a whole life and then he wasn't experiencing any of it because he was always worrying about what was next. Um and I think that that's a, a huge theme that carries through the game. And I think that that's like a great point about him. But yeah, I definitely agree that um, it's unfortunate that we get to know this fully, you know, fleshed out person through their death rather than through, you know, like their life. I always compare mm-hmm. him to Judy because I feel like they both had really strong convictions. And Judy, mm-hmm. you get to see mm-hmm. her live them. Right. And with Jackie, you learn about them through, you know, this mission. And so um, I think it's unfortunate, but I think it was really cool just to see how multifaceted he was. And um that he does have an impact that even lasts you till, you know, till later on in the game when you're, you know, right. picking names of drinks and stuff. Um, it's pretty cool. Is there like a specific item in this garage that like really stuck out to y'all? Because uh, the one that I always loved was going in and seeing the um, uh, I'm always I always mispronounce this. The the mandala, the the mandala oh, yeah. um, on on the table that is just like a terribly made one. But that Misty had kept telling uh, Jackie to make to get some of the dark energy out in this place mm-hmm. and obviously it's something that that means a lot to Misty and to for her to discover it here I think is like a big thing it, it, you know not even knowing that it was something that Jackie was trying to do and that Misty left that much of an impact on on Jackie I'm right. sure like means a lot to her and because that, that's something that like there are multiple points where you have to like like I mean, it was even before we you know came into the to the garage we were like he talked about you all the time like you were always on his mind and that was something that you mm-hmm. can even say to her shortly after V has been dragged out of the, the rubble and is learning that they're dying, that's still something that you can say to her. It'd be like, I want you to know that he cared about you and was talking about you, like, up until he was gone. Like, you know, we... Uh, or I did, I don't, remember, I don't remember what you did there, but, like, I, I told her, like, even as we were, like, in that hotel, you know, where he eventually, you know, where everything mm-hmm. went wrong, like, he was talking, like, oh, I want to bring Misty here when I've got the, yeah. um, you know, I've yeah. got the money to do it. And... So, like, and I think, you know, you can tell her that as much as you want, like, but if she still feels, you know, to some degree, like, oh, but he was always focused on the job and, you know, the next big job that he was going to do that was going to, you know, make him a legend and whatever it was. Like, I think if she only sees that side of him, nothing that you tell her is really going to be enough to really convince her of anything else. So, but then to come in here and see an action that, like, you know, th- there was, like, this tangible thing in his living space that, like, showed that he cared very much about her and her beliefs and her the things that she would just recommend for him and like, you know, enough to just put a little piece of her in his home. Like that's when it will finally click for her. Like nothing you can say is going to match that. Hmm. Yeah. I thought that moment was really sweet. Yeah. 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 But um, no, in terms of like the item that I, I chose, I uh, actually chose the belt, which is like the super, oh, a wow. super heavy yeah. item to pick yeah. rather than yep. the sweet one. Yeah. But um, you know, he, he presents it as, you know, this is uh a belt that, you know, his father had used to abuse his family. And it's this, you know, the same one that, you know, he attacked his father with when he was defending them when he got a bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that that just really reinforces Jackie's personality, especially if you play as a street kid and your first interaction with him is him putting a gun to your head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just this person who's just really sweet and fun loving, but who's forced to be the opposite of that by just life. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I just thought that was like a really cool um 
just like small example of who he was as a person. Uh, he, he, right. he always seemed like really nice and fun loving until he, he was forced to not be. Um, and that's like an unfortunate example of that. But I thought it was a really powerful one, too. Um, just it just reinforces how much Jackie seemed to care about the important people that were in his life. Mm. Yeah, I think I ended up choosing the, the book. I think it was a Hemingway book. Um, and I liked that because I get kind of annoyed when, when I play the game, especially when you're talking to like Dexter Deshaun early on. And, and he says stuff about like, Oh, Jackster's not like the brains behind anything or anything like that. But every time I had conversations with Jackie, especially the one in the hotel, it always stuck with me with he's, uh, he's not just, you know, like a big brawny guy with a loud personality, but he's thoughtful. He's caring. Um, he, he cares about things and he, and he feels deeply about things too. And I felt like the book represented that to me, that he was this person that had like depth and layers that not many people had the, um, the chance to see. It felt, it felt really nice to put that one up there, but I also like that the game gives you options that the Mm -hmm. game lets you kind of decide what you want to do and what feels right. And, uh, yeah. Ken, what did you choose? Um, I didn't choose anything because I got a different oh, version yes, of this quest. Oh, yes, you had a different version of this quest. I forgot. We we are going to talk about that mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. the end is when we will talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, we head back to the Ofrenda. Um, various people go up to kind of give their speech about Jackie. Um, Mama Wells gives a really, really touching um speech about a time when he gets uh shot when he was part of the valentinos uh and he says i'm I'm bulletproof um nothing bad will ever happen (laughs) to me it's it's both like funny and sweet and and of course we we encourage that misty comes in with us i forgot to mention that but we do insist that Mm -hmm. that misty uh comes in with us to the actual a friend uh service and all that um but vic is there and vic notes um you know, talks about how they were both part of the Night City Devils Boxing Club. Um, and uh, he he leaves a pair of boxing gloves there. A Valentino rep uh, gets up and, and makes a statement uh, and offers his condolences. And Padre is there as well. Uh, it's kind of this really nice moment of seeing, you know, a bunch of different, you know, aspects of Jackie's life all at once. And seeing all the ways in which he was connected in night city. And then you have an offer or you have a chance to go around and, and kind of have a drink with everybody uh, and talk with them about Jackie too. And it's, it's almost like, it's almost understated the way this quest ends. Cause you just kind of like mm-hmm. leave when you feel you're ready to, but mm-hmm. it honestly felt very accurate to, I mean, an actual real life grieving ceremony mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it felt very honest to the emotions of the moment. And, uh, it's, it's one that just sticks with me because of it, because I I really do feel like there was a lot of heart put into this section and a lot of like desire to want to like, not just memorialize a character, but like also acknowledging how these ceremonies are as much for the living as they are for, for the deceased and, and everybody kind of dealing with it in their own way and, and responding to it in their own way and V going around and talking to all these characters. It's just a really touching quest that I really loved. Um, I don't know if you had any more thoughts on it, Alan. Yeah, no, I totally agree with the way that, that it, it 
sort of fizzles out at the end, but not really. You know, it just opens up so that you can end it however you like to before leaving the bar. And I just I love that, you know, Mm -hmm. during the actual ceremony, you know, you don't really have a choice in the order of the people speaking or who you listen Mm -hmm. to. But I like that you can close it out by approaching who you'd like to approach. Mm-hmm. And I think every time I've played through the game like four times now, every time I go to Mama Wells first um, mm-hmm. and it's just it's a lovely to be able to do that. And I think it makes it more realistic because, you know, usually in sort of grieving ceremonies like that, you gravitate towards the person who, you know, can bring you comfort and who you can comfort as well. Um, but I also just love that, you know, she even brings up um Misty and you can vouch for her again Mm -hmm. and you know if you check back in on that situation later she even changes her mind about Misty which I thought was Mm -hmm. really important um and just a nice little touch yeah it's a really lovely quest and a lovely opportunity in a way to end that off um we'll talk about the voicemail stuff in a second because first I want to get to the version that Ken saw (laughs) Ken tell us about the version you got (laughs) So as we'll all remember uh, in episode three of this season, I sent Jackie's body to Vic because my thought process was I would not want someone to send my dead body to my mother. Like, I want somebody to break that news to her and then, then she see. I don't want her to see me like bleeding out in the back of a fucking car. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking. <laughs> so what I did not realize until... Because, like, you do get the same quest, like, called Heroes. And it's like, okay, she texts, Mama Wells texts me and say that she found something that belongs to Jackie that she must, that I might want, and it's waiting outside of my apartment. And it, this was when it started to, like, because, like, I didn't realize what was happening until after the conversation was over that I was not, like, making my way to the quest that we just talked about. Because that's what I did. Because, like, I think the first time I played this game, I must have told Delamay to wait. Because I, I, I can't imagine that I would have been... I would have thought differently about uh, sending Jackie's body to his mother. Um, so I, I think I must have told Delamay to wait for me. And obviously, like, I didn't come back. But that apparently is better than sending it, sending Jackie's body to Vic. But uh, I get back to my apartment, and the key to Jackie's motorcycle is waiting for me. Um, and so I call her, and, like, she, we kind of have a similar conversation about, you know, grief, but, like, she does not seem to have the same peace that she has in the other version of the quest. And so the, it was one of the weird moments, because, like, I, I've noticed this about myself when I play this game, and I think it, I think it's just because the game's, like, in first person, so, like, I just kind of find myself naturally doing things in the game that I would do otherwise, because, like, I, was just, I went into my apartment and started, like, pacing as I was talking to her, and like I would, like, if I was on a phone call, like, I had, you know, a dramatic phone call in real mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. and when it was over, and she never mentioned the friend, I was like, well, what the hell's going on? Wait, where is this quest that I distinctly remember that I really loved from my first time I played this game? And so, I went to Vic and asked, like, hey, what happened to Jackie's body? And apparently, if you send Jackie's body to Vic, Arasaka comes and finds it. And taste it. Um, so that's the extent Jesus of the, the mission. Vic. <laughs> that is the extent of the mission that is called Heroes. And I'm just gonna bring this up now. Like we'll we'll maybe bring it up again when we get to the Takamura episode. But what I found what I find out later from Takamura is that Arasaka has most likely taken Jackie's body to make an engram and interrogate him. 
and that's all that you're really given at this point. But at this, at that point in the game, you know, we've learned kind of like about Makoshi and how Arasaka has like this basically like this jail of souls that it takes that it has underneath Arasaka Tower. And so, like, it's left on this incredibly, incredibly fucked up and dark note that, like, Jackie is maybe still out there in some form, and you cannot save him. And, like, you know, maybe there is something that's going to come later where you might be able to, you know, foreshadowing for ten or, like, five episodes from now. Um, And, like, maybe you'll be able to speak to him again, but it's just left on this incredibly, like, fucked up note that, like, does not feel... I like both for Jackie and just like for the player, I don't feel like the crime fits the punishment of like sending Jackie's body to Vic means one you miss out on this uh this one quest, you know, the in the form that most people will, will experience it. And also something incredibly fucked up happens to Jackie. And because like I don't I like I don't really know because, like, I'm, I'm in, you know, the various things that we've had of the show, I've always been like, live with the consequences of the shit that you do. And don't expect always that every, you know, outcome or every choice that you're going to make is going to be the quote-unquote right one that you're going to, you know, that, that, that there is a way to kind of, like, game the system to get, you know, the happy ending for everybody. But this is fucked up, and I just don't really feel like I, I don't know, like, I, I feel like it doesn't there, feel there's, like, a, there's a punishment choice here, and that yeah. I don't feel like it fits, you know... You know, I had my good intentions, and that's not something that I think the game needs to be even, like, I don't, I don't think the game needs to re- reward me for good intentions, but I do think it feels like my intentions don't fucking matter at all, and it doesn't feel like the game even recognizes them, and I'm never given a point to even voice why I sent him to Vic in the first place. Well, it, the weird part to me is that it doesn't feel telegraphed to me whatsoever. Right. So, like, I would assume that are, well, so number one, I have like one major problem with this, which is that we already assume that Jackie is already dead at the time, like when you arrive at the hotel. And so, like, does this imply that Soul Killer can be used on a dead body, which is weird because I, I thought guess. that was not I guess in theory. Yeah, but like, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, now I'm suddenly being like, how does this work logically? I don't get that. Uh, but but number two. Uh, it would make more logical sense if, like, those you, were switched. If if you left Dela, if you left him with Delamain, that would make more sense because maybe like while you were in there in the hotel or whatever and stuff was happening, Arasaka caught up with you, and whereas the other two like move Jackie's body in some way mm. and like get it away from there so like logically that doesn't like it, I, I don't see the through line that's like oh it went to vix and then did like did they kill vic have you like gone back to see vic no no vic's alive because like i had to ask vic what happened and, and, they and so he he just says like arasaka showed up and and yeah. took that's and wouldn't in theory like you would think the first go place to Mama they would Wells? check huh they go to Mama Wells first. Yeah, like right? I say, the, you yeah. think the first place they would go would be his home, not the Ripper Doc who his girlfriend works near. Like, yeah, like, there, that, there are like a lot of weird questions. I, yeah, there's there's a lot of weird questions I have out of this. And and to be clear, I don't hate the idea of having one of these options lead to some sort of like 
worse outcome. Right. I just think it's bizarre that not only does it make very little logical sense, but it like both within the lore of the universe and the way these things are supposed to work, but also then just like making literal sense in terms of, oh, I did something and then something else happens. It, it, it's like you butterfly affected from I ate a banana to like, oh, Jackie fell down the stairs five miles away or something like that. Like somehow those two events are connected. Like that's, I, mm, that's very yeah. strange. That's very bizarre. Like I don't hate that plot beat outright because at least it involves like the, the fact that Arasaka has soul killer and it is just a thing that exists, but is not very like talked about has always been weird to me. So like involving soul killer in more ways, especially like with somebody close to V is interesting, but mm. Um, I am just like how the implementation. Did, is how like did the they A to B that? Yeah, once again with Cyberpunk, the implementation. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one other note I wanted to leave is that uh, we can call Jackie's phone at various points uh, and leave voicemails. Uh, for for you, it sounds like they were horrifying. Ken. <laughs> um, well, so the thing is, because I didn't like some of the things that you can talk to him about are you know the Afrenda and seeing Misty uh-huh. and stuff like that. So, like, when I... The only time I'm able to call him... Well, no, there are two times. One time is after I find out that he was taken, and um, and after Takamura tells me, like, the, the reality of what's happening. Because, like, if it feels like V is talking to Jackie, hoping in, like, some roundabout way he is in a system that he can hear this, like, that would be able to, like... Mm. Almost, like, trying to, like, call out to him... Right, in Soul right. Killer, like Or in, in Mikoshi in some way. And then... You know, shout out to V's voice actor who really like gave a, like in a, you know a very small clip like just like a really strong performance of like a guy that's just like shaking with anxiety and like sobbing almost at like mm-hmm. the prospect of like trying to talk to his friend beyond the fucking grave. Um, mm-hmm. But then he like he hangs up and it's like this is stupid like this is fucked up I'm not even like I don't even know what I'm trying to do really here. And then there's another tw- another point later where um, you can call him again just before the end game, which is universal to both sides I believe. Mm. yeah yeah we'll, we'll we'll talk about that before when we get to the end game part but a lot of the stuff around um just you know being able to kind of work through your emotions in the other routes as as v is is really impactful too and i think like again i i do think it brings us home in that it's it's a bummer we get so much of this backloaded and that mm-hmm. jackie ends up being so much of a like non-existent character in a, in a way compared to as alan was saying like judy and, and other characters but um he does at least get one of the better side missions in the game mm-hmm. uh, i don't know any last thoughts on this alan uh yeah i mean i discovered that i could call him just randomly i think it was on one of my playthroughs where i was trying to complete everything um before you know heading to the restaurant to mm-hmm. sort of set off the last you know bit of the game and uh, I was just uh, scrolling through the contacts to see if I had missed anything. And I noticed that I could still call Jackie. So I just gave it a shot. And I hadn't mm. seen that you could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was like, I don't remember exactly what they said more because I was in shock that the, they kind of thought of that. That was right. one of those, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. one step extra things I thought might have not been delivered on. So when right. it went through, I was more in shock about it. Um, but I just thought it was such a, you know, human thing to just want to speak to your, you know, lost loved ones mm-hmm. and I think it just sort of reinforces like 
to me what the core theme of the whole game is it's just everyone is searching for humanity in like a world that is increasingly inhuman and it's just Mm -hmm. this one last little thing you can do because by the end of the game you know you can jump two stories in the air you can shoot rockets out of your arm but you know you still miss your you know one of your good friends and so it's just really a grounding sort of element um especially in the face of all these you know very futuristic and cyberpunky and sci-fi things it's just a really nice human moment to call your friend and leave a message and update them on things they've missed or talk yeah. to them about things you never got to talk about. I just thought it was such a, a great touch. Mm. Heck yeah. I think that's a good note to end on. So Alan, I want to thank you for coming on and guesting on this. What is kind of an ensemble <laughs> episode <laughs> of Normandy <laughs> FM before we bounce to the next segment, where can the folks at home find you and all the wonderful things you do on the internet? Um, well, you can find my work at IGN um, on our uh, Daily Fix uh, new show, The Entertainment Fix and The Games Fix. Uh, also, I help out on the uh, Game Scoop podcast. And um, yeah, uh, you can also follow me on Twitter uh, at Alan uh, E7615. Let me double check that because I always forget my own. <laughs> oh, no, no T. Alan, A-L-A-N, 7615 uh, at Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for, for sharing the cyberpunk love on here and, and chatting. Yes. A bit. Thank you for having me. And we will see y'all in the next segment in just a moment. This is Kerry Uridine and you're listening to Normandy FM cyberpunk 2077 retrospective. And we're back for another part of our side quest episode here on Norm DFM Cyberpunk 2077 edition. Eric and Ken are back, along with Andrew King. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's great to be back on Normandy FM, uh, one of my favorite uh, podcasts out there. Oh! Oh! Aww. Oh! Oh, goodness! You don't, oh. you don't need to butter us up like that. Come I mean, on. You've already been on here enough times not have to do that. Oh, exactly. I... <laughs> Uh, for, for the folks at home who may have missed your previous appearance, tell us a little bit about yourself, Andrew, uh, and also kind of how you got into cyberpunk. Sure. Um, I am a features editor over at The Gamer, which is new. Last time I was here as a freelancer, so, uh, you know, hold your applause. We'd love to see it. We'd love to see it. And, uh, cyberpunk was a game that I was looking forward to, uh, basic, not since they announced it, not since the 2013, you know, CG trailer, but since they re-announced it, basically, when they, um, showed that, that, uh, you know, the behind closed doors demo at, uh, E3 in 2018, I think, is that when that was? Yeah, God, that sounds about... Maybe, time and fake. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and everybody, like... Everybody was going nuts for that, and it was, like, enthusiast people that I followed, but then also, like, more critical people that I followed. Like, Mm -hmm. the people over at Waypoint were, like, going bananas for it, so I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. this seems like it's gonna be, you know, really, really good. And so I was, like, you know, very stoked for it, and uh, I've written about this some um, over at The Gamer, but I, you know, grew up in a fairly small town, and... um, sort of always wanted to, you know, live in a city or, like, be in a place where there were opportunities to do more of the things that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And um, as a result, I've always really liked cyberpunk as a genre. Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies. The Matrix is, like, one of the things I remember really, you know, leaving an impression on me as a kid. Um, 
And so, like, I love open-world RPGs, so Cyberpunk was a game that I was very much looking forward to from mm-hmm. the, you know, from, from those early impressions when people said this is going to be, or looks like it'll be really good. I was very excited to get my hands on it. Awesome. How did and, you feel and, when it finally got there? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was with everybody on uh, the night it came out on Steam when there were, like, a million of us playing. Mm-hmm. Cyberpunk, I like got a nicer gaming chair for it. I, you know, mm. got a big, you know, bag of uh, crunchy fajita takis so that I would have something to snack on as I was playing, and I just was extremely <laughs> like excited to play. And I think I that sort of, I think like the first sort of hint that it wasn't exactly what I was wanting it to be was how quick the uh, section from the game beginning through you getting to Night City was. I had sort of been building that up in my mind. Like, a core part of my fantasy for the game was, okay, like, I'm going to play as a nomad that is, you know, like, sort of standing in for myself as somebody who, like, grew up outside of the city and has always dreamed of it. Like, this character is standing in and having a similar arc. And then when within, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes of starting the game, I was already, like, through the... Um, montage and into you know fully mm. into my life and I said I was like well that isn't exactly what I imagined and I think that mm. is a problem that I feel like a lot of our you know discussions around cyberpunk tend to get hampered by is that it was such a hype machine you know mm. like it was so heavily hyped that we all had I mean anybody that was like looking forward to it I think had a very specific idea of what kind of game it would be and so when it didn't live up to what we expected of it, that was hard to deal with. And I think um, I'm actually enjoying this playthrough, the second playthrough of the game, more than I did my first one because I don't have those expectations anymore. Like, I know what right. kind of game this is. Mm. Mm. So when it came to today, because of the, the structure we're using, we, we had some folks pick out side quests they wanted to talk about and you picked out i think two of the beefier side quests mm-hmm. in cyberpunk so yeah. uh to start off like mm-hmm. why did you choose the ones that you chose which are the I, i'll say like the delamain side quests and then the the chunk of quests that people kind of refer to as as sinner man yeah i think i was sort of drawn to these ones because for one reason or another they're ones that i didn't finish during my initial playthrough and so i wanted to finish them this time the delamain quest bugged out for some reason for me the first time i was playing it so i did most of the i got most of the cars back but i like got a notification at some point that was like telling me i had failed the quest for some reason so i was like okay i guess i can't do that so mm. that was one that i really wanted to do this time through mm. and center man i think i had ha- i had gotten the call from rachel to go and meet with joshua for the last quest mm-hmm. the first time i was playing the game um but i just at that point i think i was sort of like sick of the game and like you, you were done right. with it yeah so point, i was like yeah. yeah so i was like i'm just gonna rush to the to the end and i know this is probably going to be an interesting quest and like the way people have talked about it since then i've realized like yeah that definitely is a they're doing something i haven't really seen in most games in this quest you mm-hmm. know like the way mm-hmm. that they're approaching the material they're approaching mm. um gotcha. yeah but yeah so i just you know sort of raced past that one and so these were ones that yeah i wanted to come back and take my time with 
it's, it's funny because, like, the first time I played it through, these were also two quests that I never actually finished, but I also think they, interestingly enough, just, like, through hearing about them, felt like they encapsulated, like, the spectrum of how people felt about this game, because broadly, like, the Delamain stuff had been propped up as an annoying, like, collectathons that were in this game that, you know, did lean into, like, a lot of the meme writing that this, time, this game sometimes gets into, where yeah. Cinnamon was almost, like, infamous in its being this, like, very weighty, uh, you know, it, it, like, you know one of the quests that has, like, actual questions to, pro- to propose to you as a player? Yeah. When yeah. a lot of the other games, like, I, th- I would say broadly a lot of Cyberpunk 2077 isn't really interested in talking about any of the stuff that's, like, that's in the game, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. a lot of times it just shows you the things, like, okay, we showed right. you the thing, it's kind of fucked up, wasn't it? And then, like, tells you to go on your way, get Keon and Ruth out of your head. And yeah. we're here, it's like, no, like, engage with the world on a level along the lines of like something like a Bioware game where like you are being asked how do you feel about what's happening here and you know the game will react to it in one way or another um so you know there's a wide spectrum here in terms of what we're talking about in this yeah I think um there like you said you're just sort of seeing things and then moving on very quickly this is like a game that feels too fast for its own good at times because mm-hmm. it has that overarching, you know, get Johnny Silverhand out of your head. Try to you're like trying to save your life. You're trying to get that done in a timely fashion. Like you, I mean, like lots of open world games have this issue where it's like you need to save the world, but also you want to like, you know, dick around and see everything that there is to say. Um, and this one has like probably the most intense version of that that I've seen. But it's sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, the, the way that you're waiting to get calls to get jobs sort of fixes that because it's like, well, I can't really do anything any, at this point. I just have to wait for the call, so I'm going to go explore. And that's like a smart approach that they take to getting around the problem that most open world games have. Um, but it still does have that problem where it feels like it, you're, like you're rushing through it, which is sort of a meta problem with the game because it is like a game that got rushed out before it was, you know, really done, mm. you know? Right. Um, I, I, we're going to start with the Delamain one today, and, and Ken, I liked what you said about it because it really, like, the Delamain quest, in a way, kind of sums up how I felt about a lot of side quests in this game, and especially the, the street racing one that we talked about previously um it's it it starts out it is one of the few side quests that the game directly puts in the critical path so it feels like it has this added weight to it like here here are the developers like really saying hey this is something we think you should go do because it is impossible almost to miss it um you are so directed to it um you way back at the start of the game well not the start of the game the the start of act two where uh you have received a call um that that your car is back um after the whole incident with dex and the heist gone wrong and all that we go to pick up the car in the garage and and as we're getting into it another one that's in the garage rams into us and damages our car and it's a we you know we get out we're like what's going on it's a Delamain cab. It doesn't have a driver in it. It just drives off. And we get an automated text from the company saying, hey, 
uh, like bring your car in and we'll assess the damage and take care of it. Um, and we get to Delamain HQ and uh, we, we go up and we talk to this service desk where a bunch of other people are already ornery and angry because apparently this is not an isolated incident. <laughs> and as we talk to the automated system, we say like, hey, we want to talk to Delamain. We don't want to talk to, to some system. Like we are, we know Delamain. Uh, which I think is already kind of an interesting, like, step to this quest. Because mm -hmm. it's something that I think I didn't notice the first time around. But the idea that, like, the automated system is not part of Delamain. That Delamain right. is a an individual set apart from the system is already kind of, like, laying that groundwork for what we're going to start getting into. Mm -hmm. um, but as we head inside, Delamain kind of leads us around with the drone shows us how all these automated taxis are being taken care of and repaired while telling us that these accidents have been increasing and Delamain is worried that there might be a virus in his system and he wants us to go out and find these calves that have basically gone AWOL around the city and bring them back in uh and and as i kick this out to y'all for like kind of what your first impressions are of Delamain i also want to note that like one of my favorite parts about this quest is this part right here where you can ask him hey um why don't you have employees that can handle this and you can actually read some of the messages on the mm. way through like for backstory on this but you know he says like they've all kind of been uh made obsolete over the years because right. like delamain got more and more automated removing the human element from the system until suddenly things are going haywire and now Delamain needs the human element, but all those jobs have been gotten rid of. They don't exist anymore. And so Delamain has to turn to a Merc to, to hire and bring in to take care of this stuff. Um, I think it's an incredibly solid setup for yeah. a quest, especially in a cyberpunk world to tackle things that feel very real to modern day. Um, mm the idea of automation, the idea of uh, the workforce being squanched down by robotics and, and optimization, but then those things falling apart and not having a system to fix them in their place. Uh, it, I was already like really on board with this, but like, where were you at Ken with Delamain going into this? I think it was surprising to me at the time because like, for all the reasons you're saying, like, this fits in with, like, a cyberpunk universe, but in terms of cyberpunk 2077, that this game has felt more, like, obsessed with, like, maintaining the human element in the midst of, mm -hmm. like, so much, mm -hmm. like, you know, um, technological advancement. Um, so it was interesting to, like, kind of come to Delamain and kind of see what is, like, the end result of a lot of the things that people are, like, aspiring to when it comes to, you know, how something, it, you know... It is more profitable in the end to be automated by AIs that don't need a paycheck than it is to actually involve people. But it feels like broadly a lot of the world hasn't gotten to that point yet because like there's not a whole lot of talking about AI specifically. Um, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of talk of like engrams and you know this, these digital psyches of humans, but not a lot of dealing with AI except for Delamain. And there's also like this other uh, quest that we'll get to at some point um, with this uh, like this uh, vending machine that has, like, an AI in it that's another interesting kind of spin on this stuff. But I think that was my initial thought getting to this was being like, oh, this feels like it's delving into more, 
I don't know if like traditional sci-fi elements is the right way to call it, but like things that aren't necessarily tied to a cyberpunk world, or they are other genre or like other subgenres of sci-fi. Um, mm. And so that was just an interesting thing to kind of like just against everything else that this game's talking about. Mm. Mm-hmm. How about you, Andrew? How are you feeling about it? Um, start. I think my first thought playing it this time was, you know, because I've been watching, I watched the premiere of House of the Dragon. My first thought was that Delamain kind of looks like Matt Smith playing uh like agent agent 47 maybe yeah yeah. um so that was my first thought but yeah i think i think you are onto something there kenneth because that is something that's interesting about this quest as compared to the rest of the game is how this one really focuses on ai and like your the people you're helping are ai the person you're doing it for is ai and that is like something that the rest of the game is very like human focused which i think is good like i think the game Mm -hmm. does a good job with its characters at a lot of points but it is something that contributes to the game not feeling as futuristic as i would expect 2077 Mm -hmm. to feel like a lot of the time this game just feels like oh this is like this could be like 10 years in the future not 50 years in the future you know yeah like, I think, like, if you look around, you can see things that are like, oh, well, that's clearly futuristic. Like, you'll see the, um, you know, flying cars if you look up above you and stuff like that. But it really is a game that feels like, um, like, it didn't take its world building far enough in that way. Like, it feels mm-hmm. like, it feels mm-hmm. sort of like a more sci-fi, you know gta city like it is slightly Mm. further into the future the colors that they're using are clearly not like colors that we um you know tend to use in our architecture like it's a more Mm. colorful city um and clearly much more run down in a lot of places but yeah it just sort of feels like a regular city on a bad day more than it does a city 50 years in the future and stuff like delamain i think highlights the shortcomings in that way of the rest of the game that they were not don't seem to be thinking that far ahead and most of the time. Right. I think mm. it's it's interesting because, like, the, I mean, the game is still, like, dystopian, I think, more so in... I don't know if it's just, like, more so in its worldview than it is, like, in, in the actual sort of, like, technological advancements that it's made. Mm. Um, and in a weird way, I think that, like... I think it kind of helps me to feel more grounded within it, but I think it does, you know, like you're saying, it's like, it doesn't feel as overtly sci-fi a lot of the time until you get to stuff like Delamain or... You know the a lot of the Arasaka stuff that we're gonna get to with Soul Killer and all that fun shit, mm-hmm. but um, cause like a lot of the a lot of the side quests honestly don't really feel that grounded in the world or the lore of Cyberpunk more mm-hmm. than more than probably the two that we're talking about today, which I think both you know take advantage of those things to talk about. Um, yeah, I, I think if we topics. think about like oh sorry, no, um, like, I was gonna say I think like if you think about like the, everything with the nomads when you're working with like the Eldacado clan like that to me all feels like it could be in a ghost like recon a bro or yeah like, yeah ghost recon yeah yeah like it doesn't like very little of that feels futuristic like they have like um you know like powerful weapons and stuff like that but all of it feels like if you told me like this is a you know a militia on like a you know island this, the way that ghost recon sets stuff up i'd be like okay uh, like like i would mm. i would buy that it's not that far in the future dang so the next ghost recon is gonna have sex in a tank <laughs> oh dang well that's we can only hope we're, we're cooking now mm-hmm. um 
so we're given this task by Delamain and we head out and this then becomes this thing that I, I think is either intended to be something that you do right away and kind of like see the sights of night city this way. Um, Cause mm-hmm. th- that was how I did it the first time around was I did Delamain right away. It was one of the first like quests I did even aside from main story quests and I enjoyed it for that because it meant that I kind of saw all the different facets mm-hmm. of Night City very early on and, mm-hmm. and like got a lot of fast travel points early uh, and, and got to kind of see the sights as it was. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do that and if you kind of just mainline this game, you do have this thing where you are constantly running into Delamain stuff as you are trying to mm-hmm. do other things. Mm-hmm. And I think it does bring to light the way that cyberpunk is constantly throwing like content at you Mm -hmm. because i know there were at least a few situations in which i was doing a mission and i'd be like getting a call from delamain or like a signal pickup from delamain on the scanner that you have uh from a nearby delamain cab while I was also getting a call from the local fixer about, you know, oh, hey, hi, by the way, you can get jobs from me if you want to. And then also getting a text about a car that was on sale. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And, like, in some ways, this quest feels so weirdly sandwiched. Like, there is... Like, if you had a sandwich where the the bun is pretty good, but Mm -hmm. the meat is just terrible, just just Uh real bad, because... I think once we get into the actual Delamain stuff, none of it felt interesting to me. Mm-hmm. None of it felt like we were dealing with like conceptually interesting fodder. You know, you have one cab that wants to like throw itself into the river because it's sad. Yeah. You have another another cab that wants to like just say beep beep motherfucker and like uh-huh. run over things and you have to shoot it to like I don't know, bring it down a peg. And you have another yeah. one that is literally just an extended GLaDOS. riff on GLaDOS. Yeah. And I hate that one mm-hmm. with a burning passion because the first part of it is all just jokes. And they don't even just have fun with it being like, oh, we're going to run a test. And then it does a whole bit about the cake and mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. cake being a lie. Yeah. And it's not even, I've played Portal. I love Portal. It wasn't a good portal joke. It's yeah. a bad joke that they like leave space for as if they're assuming the player is going to be laughing. And I'm just like, it's not a good, it's not a good joke. Yeah. They um, want to find out the geek from gamers in the room. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like a family guy reference in, in yeah. the middle of a cyberpunk mission. Uh, and then it ends with this weird thing where like, Oh, the, the robot knows you're dying isn't that like super weird don't you feel uncomfortable right now and i'm like half of night city knows i'm dying from Mm -hmm. johnny silverhand being in my head like that's (laughs) it's it's not that weird Mm -hmm. like you already pulled this trick once with the um with the escorts at, at clouds and like that it works well there. It does not work well when you do it again here. Um, right. Especially with like less um, earnestness and like meditation sandwich- on it. Yeah. Like- yeah. Like just sandwiched in between portal jokes because you got the GLaDOS voice actress. Like that's oh, yeah, the only, it's- the only good one I think is the one who's scared and driving mm-hmm. around in a circle. And then you have to drive him back. I think to the Delamain office and, yes. and so you have to drive slowly. Otherwise, he gets really scared. And so, like, if you 
go like over whatever the speed threshold is that he has, he's like just stops complete, completely, uh, breaks the car and just is like, I need a minute. Give me just a second. Yeah. And he just sit there until it's, until he's like ready to go again. Like that's like the time where it feels like it's actually, it feels like what I'm dealing with a car as opposed to just like an AI that you stuck in one side of the world. Mm. Like, you know, mm. actually living with that instead of being like, okay, here's this enemy that can run you over that you have to hit a couple times to beat it up. Or, you know, again, just putting fucking GLaDOS on the uh, yeah. on the talking head. I sort of like the suicidal um, car. I like... I wrote down the line that it says where it says, shrinks hate vehicles, we don't have mothers. And, like, that is <laughs> that's like... A, as, that's a genuinely good joke. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like as... That is, like, as thoughtful as um, this quest gets, I think. Because you're right that so much... Like, the portal one is not the only Mimi one. There's also the... One where in Rancho Coronado, where Delamain is calling you Clarice and is like quoting oh, Silence right. of the Lambs, oh, right. except with flamingos yeah. instead of lambs. Yeah, um, like like V actually says like have the flamingos stopped crowing or whatever. Yeah. and yeah, um, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And there, there's like a See, Judgment Day line in which feels like a Terminator Two reference too. Like it is mm-hmm. like it doesn't mm-hmm. even know. The, this sort of stuff, like, because there's another quest that I did in the prep for today, not one that we were doing, but where you rescue a guy and then he, like, it's it's the joke from The Office about this yep. guy being the number one surgeon. And it's like, that really, like, I think they're, like, winking at the audience and being like, aren't we referential? But it feels like you guys are running out of time and needed to just fit shit into this game like you needed it, content for the game and you're like well, you we'll just, just, yeah. yeah it we'll makes just... the game feel old yeah like because like well, also a like reference in this day and age like this is right. not an old game right this game this came uh came out at the end of uh, 2020 2020 yeah mm-hmm. and by that point a portal reference was already pretty dated although it probably wasn't dated by the time they were writing some of this stuff right. yeah that's and true. Uh, it, but like I've I've talked before about how putting memes and jokes and online culture stuff in your game dates your game. Like it puts a hard uh, thing on your game that will make it feel old once you get later on, mm. and those references have become tired and not as you know funny. And it's it's not like a little so, Easter egg like the the number code that the Deus Ex get, devs put in all their games. It's like. A, a specific reference it's like hey you played this video game too ah like right uh. and the weird thing is like we've talked about it in, in this season that like a lot of like the earnest like character driven writing in this game is actually pretty solid but i can't think of any jokes in this game that made me laugh and yeah. that feels like the most like i mean i, I didn't play the, i didn't play the witcher I don't, like is that game ever funny like are there jokes in that game like i don't know if cd project red has like a lot of experience with like humor I feel like that game's jokes are sort of like, I don't know. It's just such a different thing writing fantasy than it is writing mm-hmm. sci-fi, right? Because it's like in fantasy, you have to like have the jokes arise from like the world because I don't know. I I, I feel like when you're writing sci-fi, you like sort of slide into the. A lot of writers slide into this like very like street talky or what they think street talky sounds like you mm-hmm. know kind of thing which ends up in this case being a lot of you know memes and like dick jokes a lot of the time right yeah the burning yeah. dick man at the very beginning oh burning dick man i feel like, like that, that's the thing is, is like all it's when it when it tries to be funny it's like 
preteen YouTuber humor. Yeah. Mm. I feel like Witcher 3 is funnier than this game, I think. Just, like, because Geralt is kind of a funny character to put in certain situations. Mm. You know? He's, because he's, he's so the stoic. Comedy, he's the comedy straight man. Right. He's the, he's the guy who is, like ridiculous things happen around him and he grumbles and go like oh you guys and stuff like that like mm. he's he's good for that and he right. also has like i i feel like there are more inherently ridiculous situations that happen in the witcher like mm-hmm. fantasy stuff happens and it's wild and it's crazy and it just kind of rolls and mm-hmm. cyberpunk doesn't feel like it ever leans into some of the inherently comedic situations that could arise in a cyberpunk future um, at least not often enough, and it tends to just go for shock value or referential humor mm-hmm. way more mm-hmm. frequently, and I don't think either one of those do it very well. I Like, even the, the side quest where you get the gun that talks to you yeah. is not as interesting as some other ones, like Fallout 3 has the medic armor that is, like, from pre-war times, but it's got, like, all this propaganda stuff where it's constantly shouting at you like fight the fight soldier and stuff like mm-hmm. that and it will ruin stealth like you will stealth around in that <laughs> and it will start yelling at you like go out there and kick some ass for america and enemies will hear it and will be alerted to your presence like that's a funny bit of wor- world building mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. a funny bit of like storytelling and like cyberpunk doesn't go that deep with it and and like use its universe in that way so i agree it's a weird yeah. thing it's like uh, i mean the, the game i mean we talk about how cynical it is but it also feels joyless a lot of the time mm-hmm. and i think that's where mm-hmm. i'm coming mm-hmm. from to like realize i don't think that that's why any of the humor lands for me because it's, it's always either a joke that's like or like you said a referential humor a meme a shock value or just always at like the expense of somebody else mm-hmm. like i just i don't think i've like again like i can't think of one funny instance of anything in this game now that I think about it yeah. yeah um after we get all the caps rounded up uh we we get some thanks from Delamain and all that. And he's, you know, everything kind of goes back to normal. And then we get a call all of a sudden. It's like, Hey, come to my place. Like something's wrong. And that's about all we get. Uh, so we head to Delamain HQ where things are awry. <laughs> things are not going well. We have to find like a back door into the place. Uh, and we quickly learn that all these disparate personalities that had separated themselves from Delamain that he thought he could kind of, incorporate back into the system are now rebelling and they are trying to become something more and i i do think it's important that we know at this point like oh we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit but like these are facets of delamain's personality that have kind of broken off from their their branches off the trunk right mm-hmm. um so we 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 work our way through this level and i agree with your note here ken that this level is like some really good immersive sim mm-hmm. deus ex style design i i think i always have a problem when i play this level that's too dark right and mm-hmm. i always have to like turn the brightness up uh to see what's going on but once i do that it is like a really cool interesting um level to kind of navigate around and get get through and uh you have all these different ways through it like through the the catwalk through the rafters um there's one really cool part that i like where you have you can figure out that you can drop a car to use to kind of hop across the electricity that's Mm -hmm. sneaking across the ground i really really like that um 
some design stuff that I thought was really, really interesting yeah. and and stood out compared to some of the other levels that we've had that are much more forgettable, I think. It was it was interesting because like we just, you know, at the very beginning of this quest we go through and just walk through it as it like as it functions as a shop with mm-hmm. Delamain and like then and when you're going through it then you don't really stop and think like, oh, I see how this was actually meant to be kind of like recontextualized later as a, a you know, a level that you're gonna have to get through. So in that way, like I always, I liked that I had to like find creative ways to get around something that did not feel like I was meant to be crawling around it the way I was. Right. You know, right. I mean, not from like it is not literally that because like they were obviously like you know making it to also be to function as both a shop and also something that you would have to crawl around on later. But it just like the sense of like how much it had changed since I was last there, and like that I had to kind of just like re understand the entire thing by walking through it was very cool. Yeah, not, just not something the game really ever does otherwise. I think this is one of the only real examples of something like that that right. um, really ever gets into that kind of design. And it doesn't have that thing that a lot of like shooters have where you like walk through an area and you're like, okay, I know I'm going to be fighting in this area because I see waist-high cover. Like, this, right. like nothing about this, when you go through it the first time, like it just seemed like an office building to me or like a garage, exactly. like an office building meets garage, you know, like it, I was yeah. not expecting there to be another level later on down the line. Yeah. Like I've been playing the, uh, the last of Us part one remake mm-hmm. uh, and I was go- going to the Jackson section and I was like, Oh, right. You know, you're walking into this thing that's supposed to be like this new lived space that all these people live in in the post apocalypse. And I was like, Oh, but there's something I'm clearly going to be able to take cover behind later. That That's right. going to happen here. Yes, I remember yeah. noticing that in my most recent Last of Us playthrough, which I guess was right before 2 came out, that, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember seeing boxes there that was like, oh, no, things are not gonna, things aren't gonna be good here right. soon. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, as we get through this area, and as we get near the end of it, uh, which is near the control center, uh, we kind of get the gist of what's going on. The the they're all fighting like the delamain personalities are fighting with kind of the main delamain shrunk uh the main delamain wants us to reset his core and bring it all uh together again while the others want to be set free to go do their own thing um and and we go in and when we get in johnny appears and johnny is very adamant like don't hit the button um don't like destroy the personalities uh like you you should do something and you shouldn't wipe out something sentient just because like delamain wants you to Mm -hmm. and so we we have a few choices here um we have two dialogue options uh and we have another one that is I mean, do we want to call this, like, the, the crucible weird ending where you can just shoot the core? Well, I was about to say, uh, like, destroy it, it. it does feel very evocative of Mass Effect 3's ending. Like, both in, like, the choices yeah. you're making and just, like, the sort of design of how you're supposed to interact with this thing. So, like, yeah, one of the choices you make by just pulling out a gun and shooting the thing. Yeah. I mean, this is really kind of, like, four choices because we can reset the core um, and delete the Delamain personalities just, like, turning Delamain itself back to normal. Um, we can destroy the core, like you said, which I think just destroys Delamain entirely. Um, I've never done that option. That's very strange to me. I don't know why someone would try that. Um, it frees the... Yeah, if you do, the, if you destroy the core, it, it frees all the, uh, the other... Oh, AI. I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. yeah. Um, or we can hack the core and merge all the AIs into one. Uh, 
bringing them all together the synthesis option mm-hmm. um so i went with the hacking option mm. um number one because it was a hacking option and it was a 20 hacking skill check and i passed the, i just hit 20 in, in hacking and i was like cool i'm gonna show off my hacking ability by creating sentient life <laughs> and, <laughs> um but i also I was very much like these things are part of Delamain and Delamain is a part of them. And I think like trying to truncate either one of those, um, doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel proper. And I know that in some ways I am making a choice for Delamain in this way. Like I am, uh, honestly probably choosing something that neither side is asking Mm -hmm. for. Um, but this was kind of V being, I guess, the most interjecting. And this is going to be very funny when we start talking about Cinnamon. But uh, this was me stepping in and being like, there is something obviously different about Delamain. There has been something different about Delamain for a long time. And, like, I, I think if you destroy the core, you are, like, eliminating a part of the self that is not right to do and i also think that by resetting the core uh best case scenario you are like harming delamain in a way even if he's asking for it and like worst case it's just going to happen again like there's no guarantee that it won't happen again like maybe delamain is always going to split because delamain is evolving past being just a service ai Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of what the ending that i got implies because he basically like ascends to a higher plane of ai sentience and leaves behind a child um Mm -hmm. and uh delamain jr becomes like our new driver and hangs out with us and, and and like does things with us um and meanwhile this ai just goes off to like do things greater than night city and uh I did kind of like that, if only because I was like, well, in the coming apocalypse, at least I'm on the winning <laughs> side here. <laughs> but, um, I I don't know. It, it felt the most, like, cyberpunk option to choose, I guess, and that's why I liked it. But how did you do this, Ken? I, I ended up with a hacking option as well, which was the the uh, stat check was lower when I did it. It was only or it was 10. So I don't know if this means that, like, the stat checks are scaling as the game goes on. Because I, mm. I did this earlier than you did, um, but I, uh, I I chose that second option as well because it just it was the version where all of them got to live in some form, because um, like you know, basically the, the way that they kind of frame it is like either they can either one of them can live separately with the other one you know destroyed in some fashion, or they can all just like find this like you know this this synthesis and you know come together and you know be this more unified thing that has the perspectives of all of them and then again like ascends to some higher plane and leaves night city um so i think it just i i think i just came to the conclusion that was like i feel like that's you know the the more like because like the other one feel short-sighted in one way or another right and like that's what johnny's argument is like delman is so short-sighted he can't see what he's doing just by trying to eliminate all these people and i was like this one feels just kind of like the most far-reaching and almost like future future proofing for all of these, these different characters like coming together and realizing that they are one and can exist as this unified thing instead of you know just fighting and destroying this, this entire building in the process how'd you feel about it andrew i did not do this part 
unfortunately. Oh, right, right. I started it, but I was not sure if this was something we were going to cover, and I also ran into the darkness issue where I could not see where I was going. So I ran out of time and went and uh, did some other stuff instead, unfortunately. What a, what a system are you playing on? PC uh, PS5. Oh, okay. Because I'm going to say, like, Eric's game was way darker than mine which, when I was watching him play this. I was like, huh. Mm, like the standard yeah. lighting, or, or I don't even know if it's the standard lighting or just, like, the displays that we all have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I played on PC originally, and then this time I was like... I think part of the reason I'm enjoying it more this time is because I'm playing on PS5, which is where I would prefer to play stuff mm-hmm. to begin with, you know? On the TV. Um, mm-hmm. and like, especially an open-world game where you know you're going to be playing for hours on hours at a time. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'd rather do that from a couch. So, yeah, PS5 for the win. Well, let's talk about Sinnerman. All right. Let's, let's <sighs> dive deep into this. Um, probably one of the most notorious side quests in all of Cyberpunk. You know, yeah, it's, definitely. it's definitely the one that gets talked about the most. Um, we it, it starts out pretty straightforward. We get a call from Wakako, who tells us that uh, she's got a job. It's basically a hit job. Um, there's a guy whose wife was murdered. The the murderer who's on death row is is being taken out on leave. Um, it's it's kind of ambiguous as to the the how and why and Wakako makes it very clear that she is not asking questions because the money clears mm-hmm. so uh we can opt to take it or not take it and i think there's something i really like about the way that this quest starts because it starts like it is more production like more preamble than you are used to getting for other just kind of side mm-hmm. gigs Mm. Uh, the name of the the quest alone is like interesting enough. Like yeah. I I see the name Sinnerman and I'm like, okay, that's that mm. sounds interesting. I would check that out if I saw that. Um, and mm. I I dig how you just kind of show up and you're you're meeting this dude, Bill Bill Jablonski, <laughs> <laughs> the greatest made up name I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. Um, and we're here to kill Joshua Stevenson, uh, who is a murdering fuck, as he describes him. Um, and, uh, we, we kind of learned that Stevenson is this murderer who murdered Bill's wife, uh, murdered a lot of other people too, and Mm. did a lot of other crime. And, uh, Bill is pissed off because, uh, he says, you know, Joshua found a get out of jail free card and he doesn't really elaborate. Um, and, uh, he's we can kind of critique him on this whole plan because it's basically, he's like, get my truck drive. We're just going to go hit the convoy and kill him. And it's Mm -hmm. very much like we we can go through the whole thing of like, you don't do executions in public. um, You don't got to do all this. This plan is half baked. And Bill's like, I spent my entire life savings on this where we're doing it. There's the transport. Go, go, go. It has this very like rushed, like the job is already going bad, but you have to see it through sort of mm-hmm. feeling. And I, it, it's this like tension that feels very good narratively to start yeah. is like that unsettling feeling that there is more to this than you are getting right up front. And then we drive the worst handling vehicle <laughs> in, in all of night city. Yeah. Yeah. That truck so bad. sucks. I Bill... feel like, <laughs> Oh, sorry. What were you gonna say? I'm just gonna say, Bill, spend your life savings on a better truck. <laughs> like, get a better car, <laughs> please. I feel, I feel like the car pathing is different in this level than it is at any other time in the mm-hmm. game because it's gotta when, be. 
Yeah, every yeah. time I'm driving this, there are cars running in front of me. Like I always am, like barely keeping up with them. Every but like every time I played this, I think the first time I played it, I failed it once and then had to start over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then this time I was like, I'm afraid I'm gonna fail this because I'm getting hit by every single car at every single stop sign. Mm-hmm. Those fuckers are waiting. They're waiting for mm-hmm. you. And this, this mm-hmm. like this, this is planned. And CD Projekt Red did it. And I need someone to apologize to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's okay because eventually the convoy hits uh, a truck uh, on a freeway, and so we stop and we get out and we're kind of approaching the car, right? And and by the way, this is this is not a normal truck that we were following. This is like an NCPD like patrol car, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. by patrol car, really, it's like an armored APC. So right. like we are like walking up on this, and a a, a cop gets out. And just full on body armor with his gun out, telling Bill like, "Hey, drop the gun, drop the gun." Um, and Bill is like, "You are protecting a murderer. I'm not going to drop it." And the cop just shoots him dead. Yeah. Uh, and that is like one of the first big woe moments of this quest is like just dropping that character immediately and being like, "Hey, we we gave you all this preamble on this guy and his motivations and he really wants to do something. And guess what? This is night city. You're dead. Like that's, I think that's maybe one of the best in a vacuum, right? Like tone setting things that we've done for night city so far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) Um, I agree. And, and we're about to get shot too until Stevenson gets out and is like, Hey, 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 no more, no more killing. Stop it. Stop it. Um, and as this, kind of panicked moment is going on and and we can see the cop and stevenson and someone else in the vehicle all arguing with each other and saying like the media is coming we gotta get moving the cop is yelling at this 18 wheeler to get out of the road to get out of the way um it it eventually like comes to it that stevenson wants v to come with them and get in the car and this is when Johnny pops up and delivers maybe one of my favorite, most memorable lines <laughs> from from Johnny Silverhand from Keanu Reeves in this game. If you don't get in this fucking car, I'm never talking to you again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> while I did fake out, like I Ken was watching me play, and so I did like a fake turn around and walk away, like when he said that. But um, I do love one of the things about this. Uh, quest is that it gives you so many options to walk away in any mm-hmm. given moment and you are like making a very clear role-playing statement by right. staying involved in what's Which, going on i will say like I, and I, I thought back to our mass fit one season many 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 years ago uh at this mm-hmm. point we've been doing this a very long time we talked about there was a the stuff with the consort in mass Effect one that i remember having right. like a conversation about i mean like i noped out of that side quest because it felt true to me to do that and I think it would have been very true of me to nope out of this side quest at multiple instances, mm. but I persisted because podcast. Um, what is what is your V like, Ken? He's me. Okay. That like I'm playing a self insert character, and so like okay. I guess like just kind of to set the tone for anyone who might be listening, um, we're gonna have some pretty frank discussions about religion and yeah Christianity in particular. Um, yeah. in this, uh, segment, and I'm just gonna, like, I'm gonna be honest, cause that's how we are on the show, and I hope that y'all, like, mm-hmm. appreciate that, and I am sorry to anyone who I might offend in the process. Mm. And we're also gonna be talking about, like, murder and, yeah. and stuff, so, like, and, I don't know, maybe 
murder for the sake of entertainment, which is like this, this quest really gets into it in a way that like I would normally say goes for shock value, but I think it is one of the cases where I feel like the extremes that Mm -hmm. the center man quest line goes to fit what the game is trying to do. And most of my nitpicking comes down to ways in which I think they could have displayed certain things better but overall it 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 just goes in some ways um so we get in the escort and we're hanging out we're talking to i I mean it it is already we we talked about like just inherently ridiculous situations we are in, in an escort with a cop driving an armored vehicle a like convicted death row inmate with tattoos all over him uh and and like in the oranges and handcuffed and everything in the back seat but he is the one that is like essentially calling the shots right now right and uh the seat in front of us riding shotgun is clearly some sort of corpo type like Mm -hmm. a a corpo person who is always on their phone or or tablet or whatever just doing things all the time and is frustrated with the entire situation everything is not running to their plan um so we get to know them we 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 have options to kind of talk and ask questions and all that and and obviously you know we ask what the hell do you want with me uh and he says he needs us and and like asks our name and starts to recite scripture um and and the cop then reveals that he's figured out by our name like who v is he's heard of v and he's like this is too much trouble we can't have v here um but stevenson is like no no like v is here like we are paying v v is going to be a part of this and we still don't know what this is (laughs) to emphasize um so we get rolling and we're talking and we're we're hanging out and uh he starts to to kind of give us the um the have you ever experienced a life altering event mm-hmm. like have you ever changed your perception based on something that happened and he starts quoting scripture and boy howdy if you've never had this happen to you before uh i i had flashbacks here mm-hmm. um, yeah. i've this this is uh uh testimonial i believe is what, what we call them um yeah. but but basically like the like an affirmant of faith from somebody who is is born again and mm-hmm. and who has you know done bad things in their life and this is their uh, how they found their come to jesus moment and he says you know i did all these crimes and i i murdered and i robbed and i did all this stuff and i never uh i didn't care i didn't feel anything about them uh but then i had a religious awakening in prison and now i'm i'm choosing to do something else i'm choosing a different option and he the way he explains it to us is that uh we can stay with him he wants us to stay with him for the duration of the day and he will pay the 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 corporation that is running this whole whatever this is will pay us the amount of money we should have received for the hit um and we can even say like hey like i am contractually obligated to kill you like that i've essentially like without signing a contract but like my word is good and i've said i am going to carry out this hit and stevenson is like don't worry i have a feeling that everybody is going to get what they want out Mm -hmm. of this situation 
uh so you don't need to worry about that and um yeah we we kind of poke at it and and we can kind of ask questions or whatever but we basically say like okay um i'm in we'll see Mm -hmm. um and he says he's got to prepare we he's got to start praying for where we go and it carries right into the next quest uh before we get there like quick temp check where are you at with this right now ken uh i want it out of the car um (laughs) so i again like i am kind of like existing in like this like the middle of like what i want to do and what i felt like i needed to do for the show and i also think like Maybe to like some degree, I might have been like curious, but part of me is just like I I want out. This is I I got my various feelings on what this guy is trying to sell me right now, and he even at this point hasn't really told us what he wants beyond us being here. Because like I mean, yeah, we're gonna get more into like what he is trying to get out of us being here, and then like in the next quest. So like here, you know, you get the opportunity to kind of like ask about his awakening, or just you know be you know very judgmental about like sort of uh, you know his crimes and all that stuff. And I think at the time I was kind of just, like, existing in, like, disbelief of, like, what do you even think you're getting out of telling me this? Like, why are you telling me this? And I don't know. Like, I, I was completely disinterested in his awakening and more just, like, what it, why what does this have to do with me? Why am I here? Um, right, right. And it did not feel like I was getting that until, you know, this, this next quest we're getting into. Yeah. How are you feeling, Andrew? Um, yeah, I think um, he is somebody that is a little off I think when he mm-hmm. starts talking about I mean I guess it depends on you know where you're at like I feel like if I had seen this in college when I was sort of you know still in my evangelical phase mm-hmm. like I would have been like yeah this guy's spreading the gospel you know what I mean mm-hmm. like I would have right. mm-hmm. I would have sort of been into what he's doing but now that I'm not in that place anymore it is the kind of thing where I'm like I just don't want to have this conversation you know right like, yeah, and I think it's, right. like, right. Because I think, like, mm-hmm. there's there's even, like, a, you know, a difference between what we're going to talk about in the next question. Like, how do you just feel about him on a baseline level right now? Like, okay, he's a murderer. He says he has a religious awakening. Like, do you believe that, you know, those two things are intertwined in any way that have any meaningful impact on how you view him as a person? Like, do you, is there, like, if you are a faithful person, like, do you believe that is not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, it does not make up for what he did, but it is some level of trying to find some level of recompense i guess um and i as a person who does not believe and has mm-hmm. a lot of feelings on the way that religion is often used to excuse or just outright commit atrocities none of that is clicking for me like i was like you're not endearing yourself to me sir mm-hmm. i because mm-hmm. i think like if you are maybe you know, a more religious person like like make your saint andrew like you might, you know, come at this being like, okay, this is a man who, in his final years, found a, a new purpose and is trying to, like, make some level, whatever, again, we don't really know what he's trying to do, is trying to make some level of good in his final days. Um, yeah. Because I, I think, like, this is this is probably the one time, this questline is the one time in Cyberpunk that I think the game has actively drawn me into its cynicism in a way that nothing mm. else does. Like, I've been talking a lot about in this season how, like, I'm always, like, playing a V who's trying to find, like, you know, the hopeful angle for something that, like, really resonated with Judy on that level. Because, like, in spite of everything that the city told her, like, she wanted things to be better for the people that were around her. And here, like, I am just the most jaded version of my V. 
like mm-hmm. the most like this is like you know we'll, we'll talk more specifically about like what he's doing in a minute but like i am so diametrically opposed to how i have felt throughout the majority of this game in this yeah. one i think when you are an evangelical this is like the person that you are so excited to meet because every evangelical like talks about their life basically in the same way that this guy does except it is like you know before i got saved i swore sometimes or you know Mm. i lied to my parents occasionally and it's Mm. like like you try to (laughs) like get yourself some street cred and like pretend that you were worse than you were but it's like you like especially like growing up evangelical you meet a lot of people that grew up in the church and still are trying to position themselves that way mm-hmm. so like when you meet somebody who's the real deal like in college i was an ra and one of my other ras was a guy who was like a drug addict who like you know went through some like i think christian you know rehab thing and like was mm-hmm. a pastoral ministry major and it's so like somebody like that who has like actually gone through the shit and like decided to be religious is like a very like cool thing when you're an evangelical because it's like wow it really works on people that right. weren't like predisposed to be good people in quotes and heavy quotes yeah. um and so yeah. like i feel like in college if i had seen this guy i'd been like that guy rules like but now i'm like man i just don't want you to ask me how i feel about this stuff i like i'm not where ken is where i like just straight up don't believe i'm just like i just don't know what i think about some of this stuff mm-hmm. and yeah. which so means he, he's of, gonna ask at some point Right. Yeah. He does ask right. Yeah. I feel so like I... we should move into the the next part of this quest because I feel mm-hmm. like that's where a lot of the stuff starts to come to the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, so we 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 show up at the home of a woman named Zuleika, um, mm-hmm. who initially we we get told like is a companion of Stevenson or whatever, and and we're, we we don't really get a lot of info. And we head inside, and there's a memorial for somebody up, and and nothing's really clear. Zuleika offers us something to drink. Um, and then Stevenson like fills us in on what the situation is. Zuleika is the sister of a man that he killed, like mm-hmm. one of one of his bodies. Um, and and she wrote him letters in prison, and eventually forgave him. And there's like a strong implication, I think, that her involvement in his life is what mm-hmm. had him, like, have his awakening. Is is that was like somebody trying to reach out to him. Um, and this is where you can start to like probe um and like like he we're skimming over a lot of dialogue but it, this game does do a really good job of like the role-playing question mm-hmm. of asking you questions to define how you feel about things and help define like your belief in the world through discussing your belief in whether there's a higher power or not and mm-hmm. these things aren't going to be the you know someone will remember this they'll pop up again later sort of thing um there are i think multiple outcomes for this quest but we can talk about that when we get to the end but uh a lot of this is is just informing your character and kind of participating in the act of role playing in this right. world um and i think it's fascinating because you are having this conversation where they are uh, talking about him and, and you get asked whether you believe in God or not. And you have a pretty wide swath of things that you can answer with. It's not like a yes or no answer, which I feel most other games 
uh, do that. They're like, mm. do you believe in God? Yes or no? Mm. Uh, it's you can like, yes, no. You can kind of give what I would say is like an agnostic answer yeah. of like maybe there's some, which is what I went with. You know, mm. maybe there's something out there who can say, but like we're just dealing with our own problems down here. Um, or you can like try and just completely throw it off the trail and just be like, why are we even talking about this? Right. Um, and it, it starts out already with this sort of positioning of, of this. And then it gets into what like the core of this quest line is because Stevenson's like Zuleika and I have a dispute and, and I want your input. Um, and Zuleika is clearly not happy about this. She doesn't want this topic brought up, but he tells us kind of what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Um, after the media learned about him being converted that he was this death row inmate who was converted to believing and as they point out like belief in night city is not common like Mm -hmm. religion in night city at this point like humanity is kind of like becoming less religious the more that they that tech is developing and night city has become what it is like religion is not as common Mm -hmm. and that was the moment where I started to think like, oh, I, I've seen like spiritual stuff, but I haven't necessarily seen like religion right. in a way that I would normally contextualize it. Um, right. You know, we we've seen traditions and we had, you know, the heroes side quest with Jackie where there is definitely like uh, cultural ways of dealing with human emotions like grief and grieving and stuff like that. But those aren't, always inherently religious you know they're not based off of a foundation of dictated faith Mm -hmm. they're more like a culturally inherited uh ritual that someone that that people engage in to deal with you know the human experience so um the media found out about his conversion and a brain dance studio came calling and they basically want to do a brain dance version of the passion, which they actually call the passion, mm-hmm. uh, which I mean, it's not like Mel Gibson has a, has the market cornered on that. I mean, it is like, that is a colloquial phrase of like the, the passion being like, you know, the crucifixion. Right. But uh, I did think that was very strange mm. <laughs> that, that that's happened this way. But uh, the media is basically offering to instead of him getting the electric chair, uh, which I'm surprised that's how they do things in Night City, um, that they will like brain dance him being crucified and turn it into a brain dance and spread it like the movie The Passion. Only it's a weird VR thing that you can be in and. Oh, buddy, <laughs> the the way this quest suddenly goes like from zero and then like is slowly putting on the gas, like just enough to keep tugging you in, keep pulling the thread and then just drops the floor out with this mm-hmm. is like this is suddenly a huge philosophical thing that we have mm. stumbled into. Yeah. Um, so that is kind of like the I mean that is what Zuleika does not want him to do this and and she calls them like bloodsuckers and and uh, all that and uh, 
the the law clearly doesn't care the corpos have their money and they point it out but he wants to do it because he thinks he'll be able to spread belief he'll be able to uh better share his faith with the world and potentially convert people with the emotions of his performance mm-hmm. um right because like the thing with the brain dance is that when you're doing it you feel all of the emotions that the yes person yes. and that's sort of what um he picked they say that he picked luke's gospel instead of john as the basis for his brain dance because right in luke jesus is more jesus you it shows you that jesus is fully aware of what he has to do and as and that matches with his emotions as somebody who has decided to put himself through this basically i i do want to like really shout out quick like the the writing of stevenson as a character is so spot on mm-hmm. it's it like that that moment which uh i think happens later when you go for like the meal at the the pie z or whatever mm-hmm. um but like that specific reference of like different interpretations of the gospel mm-hmm. showing like different aspects and, and and like versions of the story and him being like oh no not john no we're, we're going with luke's gospel and all that uh yeah hey that's a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's like a real ass conversation i've had before right uh and and he even when he's talking about people that he wants to reach out to with this performance he's saying like joy toys and coked out corpos and paid killers like you v these are the people i want to reach I, mm-hmm. I gotta reach them i gotta go out there and find them and this is so on the money it is yeah like, mm-hmm. honestly like I know we have dunked on the writing in a lot of this mm. season so far, but Sinner Man nails it in this section in a way that is honestly really impressive. Yeah. Something um, I, I like about his character is that his Christianity, I guess because um, Night City is sort of like a post-Christian society, like truly, like, you know, they talk about how rare it is to meet somebody who is religious how his um, religion seems to be completely divorced from, like, right-wing, like, mm. American Christianity. Like, the mm. fact that he is, like, mentioning coked-out corpos in the same breath that he's mentioning joy toys feels like it is very, like, much more true to, like, the way that Jesus, like, talks in the Bible than the way that, like, the Bible is presented by American Christians in general. And that he is like, he is like saying, you know, the, the joy toys are no worse than, you know, the, the wealthy corpos. Like that is not a position that most like conservative American Christians hold anymore. And like, Mm. Mm. so his, his, his religion in that way feels more pure and less syncretistic than like American Christianity does. Well, so that's an interesting thing because I, I wanted to get through this next part because I think this is kind of where I, I come to on this quest. Uh, we get interrupted in our debate. Uh, Zuleika's mother arrives and she is furious. She is pissed off. The literal murderer of her son is is in this house and mm-hmm. she is having none of it. And she is mad at Zuleika and she is just like... is there is not even a room to even talk. She's just like, get out, get out now. And you can tell that like, this has been a problem for a while. Uh, but also that, you know, they, they kind of thought they were going to work around and get around it. But, um, 
there's there's a moment where Stevenson is leaving and he kind of like tries to give his spiel. You know, he's he's like, I I am sorry for the the harm I caused mm-hmm. you and and all the pain I brought to your family, and I am here to humbly like beg your forgiveness. And this kind of brings me to like why I wanted to get through like that part and like get to this is that I think one of the main driving conflicts for me in this is like is what Stevenson is he doing a selfish thing? Right. Mm-hmm. Like what is he in this for? Like is he about genuinely wanting to reach people and change lives and bring some sort of awakening that he believes will better their experience on this earth or is he kind of in this for his own gain, for his right. own feeling of I have atoned and right. I will be better and I will be right and I will mm-hmm. be good. Um, right. And I think I never came down on a full answer on this. And I, I think, think if it that opened is, to the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Cause I, I definitely felt in that moment, I was like, dude, this is like, they did not want you here. And you are now trying when this, when this mom is like furious at you for good reason. And now you are asking for forgiveness. You are asking something from her this is your way of making recompense like dude get out of this house (laughs) and then in the car he's like i i thought she would have forgiven me what did i do wrong what what, why can she not see bro Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and so that was that was the point where like i started to i mean i was already like very dismissive of the entire thing because i i just felt like it was all a con anyway like regardless whether his intention was he like everyone this feels like a three-way con between jesus him and the corporation <laughs> um but like when he was having that moment in the car he was like i just don't understand there's a cool option like you have, like you have to like pass a statute to do it to ignore him entirely and talk to the corpo and the cop about like where you're gonna go eat because we're gonna go eat and like that was the point where i was like i feel like i've been very dismissive in the conversations that i've had with him but now i want to be like barbed and mean and shitty and petty and so like i'm gonna ignore you while you're having this crisis because i don't give a fuck and so mm. i was like yeah, where are we going? Oh, I know this great. I like you know, I'm I I live from I've lived in Night City all my whole life. I know this great burger place that we should go, and that was the point where like because like he, at the at that point you you also have the option to, like you know talk to him talk through him through his shit, and I just I appreciate like the levels of role play and it's, it allows you in this because like there are a lot of different versions of this quest where like you could just mostly be like a passive observer, and I think the game is like in the actual like back end systems is like taking like like assigning point values to how you're reacting every time and it ultimately like leads to a different conclusion but i just kind of loved how i always felt like i had the tools to react accordingly um just because like it let mm-hmm. me be mm-hmm. as dismissive of this as i wanted to be mm-hmm. yeah i feel i feel like that specific dialogue option which i also took um felt very tabletop role playing and like somebody saying like i want to downplay the awkwardness of the situation and change the topic and you almost feel like that dialogue mm. option appearing is like the dm saying okay roll for cool you know like right. <laughs> it's um and, and, and even there like as we're saying like we that. had two very different interpretations of that yeah yeah for me i was like so by my situation at this point and kind of where my overall view on this quest came down was i have a lot of feelings about what is going on here i don't think anything that is happening here is good and right but i also like this person is clearly 
wants to do something he's not doing it against his will and he's even selfishly doing it in some ways um you know he's we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more later I'll, I'll i'll circle back on that i promise but it's uh my v is just kind of like i will be here i will witness this but i don't think it is my place to participate in mm. this any more than is necessary Almost like V is basically there to make sure that Stevenson dies and then just walk out mm-hmm. and cash the check. Yeah. Like that's, and that was kind of my feeling. And I kind of like that idea of like, you are just this bounty hunter that is just there and, right. and is just to making verify. sure that, yeah, it's just making sure that everything goes according to plan. And, yeah. uh, I, I think it's incredible because even we, so we go to Pisces and we stop at this burger place. And before we go in, uh, Rachel, the corpo who's with us is basically like, Hey, go grab a seat. Um, I'll be in, in a minute. I got to talk to our little stowaway here. And, um, Rachel is very much like, Hey, look, I'm worried that you being here, you're going to let you like, stevenson's gonna start asking questions like stevenson's gonna start doubting it's Mm -hmm. almost like a funny parable of like here is the garden right like here is where jesus may doubt and uh she's very much being like i don't want that moment to happen i don't want that moment of doubt so you got to get out of here and i will pay you a ton of money to leave and you can Mm -hmm. even quibble you can you can haggle to be like Mm -hmm. give me more money and i'll walk Mm -hmm. um but Johnny shows up is like, do not walk away from this. And I'm kind of kind of with him or like I am now in this too much to walk away, but also mm-hmm. like it, it wasn't just, I have to do this for the podcast that was keeping me here. Mm. It was this feeling of like, I am in some way or another captivated, captivated by what I am seeing play out in front of me. Mm. And, mm-hmm. um, I I don't even know like if you know I don't play like a self insert V right like I'm playing kind of like my corpo V but this is the moment where I had to like kind of interrogate myself a little bit mm-hmm. and be mm-hmm. like would I walk away if this was real life yeah right. I don't I don't know that I would I don't mm. even like you know granted you can't know for sure until you're put in front of it right. but this idea of seeing something bizarre and incredible and complicated happening in front of me it is hard to look away and i i again (laughs) like the fact that it's eliciting so much like vehement emotion from from us is like a sign that this quest like stands out so much right and because like for me this point like the point where i where i would have left like undoubtedly would have been when we left that house and the mother was just squalling and i was like this fucking guy Fuck this. Fuck all of this. This is, this is bullshit. That would have been the point I think I would have left in real life. Right. But, you know, as we go into play for the podcast, when it got to the point where Rachel says to me, like, I fear that you're going to make him doubt, that was like a, a new seed in my brain that was like, that was planted there and made me think, I'm going to sabotage this. Mm. Like, that, that was my, my mindset here was being like, okay, I believe this is a scam for all the reasons I've already said in ter- terms of like, okay, I don't believe in God. I think that there is some level of, like, selfishness to what this guy is doing. Like, you know, he, he talks about, like, this very altruistic way. But um, 
it, like like we said earlier, it, it seems like there's some attempt here to kind of like absolve himself of what he did because God forgives us, everyone else should, and anyone who does not should feel ashamed because they do not reach like the same purity as God. Mm-hmm. And so then there was like the idea of like they want someone to have you know the very you know emotional like religious experience in a brain dance more or less so they can brainwash other people because like that's ultimately like what a brain dance is in terms of like you know you you feel the experience of one person so holistically that it could possibly like by the time that you take you know the headset off it has changed your vision of the world around you because you've shared in the emotions or maybe delusions of another person so holistically that you're that your inward worldview changes. And so when she brings up the idea of like, I think you're going to make him doubt by being here. And I was like, shit, maybe I should, maybe I should do that. And so that's why I came in and like every response that I had in this, you know, when we get into this diner in a minute was very snarky, but also like, you know, expressing my, my feelings, but also like everything had like a jab to the corpo that was also sitting with us. Mm, right. Andrew, how are you kind of feeling at this point? I don't know. I feel like I kind of share, like, the way Johnny is talking about this guy, where, you know, Johnny is like, man, this guy is a true rebel, which I don't know if that is exactly how I feel, but I do feel the sort of begrudging respect for somebody Mm -hmm. who's willing to, like, put it on the line in that way. Like, whether it is, like, it is hard to untangle whether anything we do is truly altruistic, right? Because it's like we do things because we want to do them, whether it's like to help other people or to help ourselves, like in order for us to choose to do something, we in some way want to do it. So that is like, that to me is like a fundamental, like philosophical religious question is like, can you do anything completely unselfishly? Right. So like that doesn't matter as much to me as like the fact that he actually is willing to like let himself be killed for his beliefs i guess there is the you know he would get the electric chair if he um didn't do this but what he's going to do is more painful i think than the electric chair and definitely i he dies pretty quickly but like a real life crucifixion he would be up there for hours right like suffocating like that's how you die when you're crucified um, so um yeah yeah so there's like i have a respect for him on the level of even though like he is a guy that i don't especially want to talk to very much at this point mm. in my life i have a begrudging respect for him choosing the path of like more suffering because he believes it's right i i think i love the, the spectrum that's going on right here right now to be honest yeah. it's like yeah the spectrum of reactions yeah i i, I think one of the most fascinating parts about this and where i think this is cyberpunk actually leaning into its world building Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. using it for for like interesting storytelling is we've seen that like snuff films exist in the brain dance world right like that's not an outlying thing like Mm -hmm. it's not an outlier that's something that we've literally at this point in the story have have purchased multiples of uh in in our murder mystery adventures and all that um but you mentioned like the brain dance part. And I think that is so important to what this is because sure you could crucify anybody in a brain dance and get their emotions, but you might get fear and pain and, Mm -hmm. and all that. Uh, You want the 
like fervor like Mm -hmm. they they they're seeking this guy because they think that he's going to have this different emotion that nobody else is going to have that is going to create something that is a different experience than what they've provided there's such a commoditized uh, Mm -hmm. like, like turning into money of this situation that is so fascinating to me and really like carries it into this last section where you go to the movie studio uh that or movie studio brain dance studio whatever uh that that like it is this act that is in itself you know theoretically very devout and and someone expressing their belief in potentially the highest fashion it's also extremely self-serving and it's mm-hmm. it's borderline narcissistic mm-hmm. because right. yeah. this this guy could have either chosen to die after making his own peace on his own terms or maybe tried to find a way to live and do good somewhere else and do better with what little life he has left and instead he has chosen to become the star of a bd that he knows is going to make billions and reach tons of people but he wants it to reach tons of people because he theoretically wants to convert them but is that a a selfish pursuit is it like i am the one who's going to convert them i'm going to be the change i'm going Mm -hmm. to be the martyr there's like a martyrdom aspect to this that all of it all of it just blends and weaves and this whole time i'm just feeling this constant like while I was playing it, I, I was just going through so many different things in my head of like the philosophy behind all of this. And mm. the fact that I think even when this quest comes to a close, you are supposed to be left with this sinking feeling and not necessarily one that is like, did I, it, it's not like I did the wrong thing. It's like, did I do the right thing? Or was there even a right thing to do in this mm-hmm. situation? And uh, so, yeah, let's, let's keep going. I, I just kind of like because like we, well, because like you know the question is like we have all these questions about his motives, and I think mm-hmm. that sort of that uncertainty that we feel you know as we're talking about it kind of feels like that's what he probably feels internally, and I think is ultimately what I think he's like looking to be to kind of like affirm for him is like. Right. Am I righteous in what I am doing? Is what I'm doing good? And, you know, ultimately, like, what we say kind of determines how he feels in the end. And how he feels in the end is going to be, like, put on display for whoever puts this thing on. And so, I think, you know, all our judgment, I think, is more... You know, judgment or not judgment, however, you, you know, you're handling the quest. I think it comes ends up coming through whenever the final product is. And, you know, we'll talk about the specific of that in a minute. But, like... I, I think it's interesting that, like, you, we talk about these questions about all, all of our views of his uh, actions, and the game is, like, so kind of holistic in the way that lets us respond that it feels like it's actually acknowledging that in the end result, which is, you know, more so mm-hmm. than, like, mm-hmm. a, lot of the other, uh, a lot of the other quests in this game. Yeah. In terms of, like, actually acknowledging how you feel about a thing. Yeah. It's a very, like... I think the the thing we've sort of gotten to is how layered this quest mm-hmm. is and like the um, mm-hmm. the different kinds of you know things that are ideas that are going on in it. Like I saw in the you know cyberpunk wiki for this quest somebody draws the connection that by offering you money to not um take part in this um Rachel is, you know, 
playing the role of the religious officials who paid Judas off to betray Christ. Mm. Like you're fulfilling mm. that same role. And but even if you go through with it, like you are, you know, killing this guy, which is like functionally what Judas did by betraying Christ. So it's like there is that there's that that traces through and then if you go like more meta with it and be like, well, but I was picked, but like the guy picked me to do this for him, so it's not like I'm betraying him. But then you can be like, well, like if you assume that like God is all knowing, then Jesus also picked Judas, knowing that he would mm. betray him. So there's a lot of like layers, which is part of what I feel like makes this such a good quest is that a lot of them you can sort of be like, well, okay, that one was an office meme. Like it is what it is on the surface. And this is something where it feels like the ideation process that they went through behind the scene. Like, this one just feels like it had so much in more incubation time than any of the other quests yes. that I played in this yes. game. Yeah. It feels like it really got the time it needed to, like, go down, you know, the layers so that they could really think about what they were doing with this. And I feel like a lot of quests in this game just sort of betray that they were rushed in some way, you know. And this uh, one feels the opposite. It feels like it had all the time it needed to, you know, become what it was. Yeah, someone was really cooking the day they wrote this. Like yeah. that good day in the office here. Uh -huh. Um but later on we get a call from Rachel. So this is after like we've we have like a little bit of a time hanging out at, at this burger place, uh, where they take us to eat and then Rachel kinda gets sick of all of it and is like, We're we're leaving. The day is done, it's over, bye. Uh, and, and it kind of seems like that's the end of it, right? Like, mm -hmm. it feels like the quest is over at that point. You're done. Like, you have spent your day with this guy, and whatever is going to happen next happens next. And then we get a call from Rachel, and uh, Stevenson, they're at the Braindance studio. They are getting ready to, to film this thing, and Stevenson is breaking down. Nothing will help. And... Uh, we are pretty much the one person that can be called in. And obviously she's buttering us up because, you know, this needs mm. to work. She, she's um, real, real nice for somebody who was ready to like kick our ass a minute ago. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so we, we go to the studio and there, there are protesters and a police cordon is set up and Vasquez is there. Um, and we can be like, Hey, is, is Stevenson doing all right? And he's like, I don't know. I don't care. Just go in. And so we, we get the, you know summation there uh i feel it, there was another point in this quest where you can kind of be like man the you know rachel must really have something on you if the ncpd mm -hmm. is like helping out with this whole thing um and it's kind of the Im implied notion that he is in this against his own will right. as well like he's not a fan of all this but he has to uh we go inside and stevenson is in this kind of you know dressing room um makeup room uh and he's got i think there's like a, basically a chip that is like a bible scripture thing next to him and he's kind of getting ready but you can tell he's he's struggling a little bit um he's wearing a, a loincloth made out of his prison garments which is just wild and mm. still is wild to me now <laughs> um but uh you know he's sitting there and he's like you know why am i here why am i doing this am i actually like i'm am i insane is this crazy like what am i doing and we get a couple different options uh 
you know, we can try to just straight up talk him out of it. Say like, you are crazy. Don't do this. We can tell him like, no, you got this. Keep going. Which I, I, I know we have talked a lot about different viewpoints at this point, but I don't know how you get behind that one. I think, <laughs> that, I think there is a version of this quest where somebody is like really, you know, very, uh, you know, very religious and just like thinks like in the context of how this world experiences things would think would think that, that is like a, a very hopeful expression to dog this but, man but on suicide is a sin like I, it is a, is a belief that that suicide eric let me tell you about you a ticket let me tell you about cherry picking oh oh i know i know i'm just i'm just saying like i but i think that's fascinating because i see this option i look at it and i have a reaction to it but then i'm like is there a person out there that would engage mm-hmm. with this somehow by having the option i'm asking a lot more questions mm-hmm. but do you and... do you think of this as suicide given that he just is choosing the method of his death not choosing that he right. has to die to begin with I, I i would say so if only because he is choosing a method of death versus having one chosen for him okay. if that makes sense sure like maybe maybe because he was given the choice it is no longer that case and and he just decides to make good with what he can but i do question the matter of agency and whether like him choosing his forum you know necessarily dictates like is this i mean he's he's going to be killed but he is opting to pick his executioner i guess and mm-hmm. his form of execution so i don't know again interesting philosophical questions <laughs> right. yeah um yeah uh we can say like you have pure intentions but i don't think this is this is right or we could call him a rebel mm-hmm. uh, which, which johnny I, would be thrilled here yeah uh-huh. i actually i went with the third option where i was just like i i think you mean to do well but i don't think you understand what you are going through with and uh he's just like no no like you, you know you it's i i'm in this i'm going to do this like it's it's okay i am like reaffirmed in my beliefs now and he asks us to pray with him so ken you didn't pray with him right absolutely not I ended up yeah, like well, I I told he him he says for you to lead the prayer. Let me be specific. He asks you to pray, like to be the one that prays. Mm-hmm. Right, and I I just what did I say? I I said no. I, I would I would sit here with him, but I'm not praying. Yeah. Um, but like when it came to like my feelings on it, like I the long answer of what I like I should I wanted to say like no, this should not happen. But it's more tied into like I, I the production is a scam but i also think religion is also a scam and i think christianity is a scam and i think all of this would do would be embolden people in something that i think has largely been a net negative to the world uh as a as a gay man who has lived through it myself has seen other queer people and other like just you know anyone that doesn't fit like a certain mold that like anyone that tries to weaponize christianity uh anyone who's had to suffer under that but the game doesn't really let me get that philosophical about it, so I just instead just I'm like, no, this is a crazy thing that you're doing, and I don't think you're, you should do it. But then he's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, in the midst of his doubt, he's like, but but it's too late. I can't back out now, and I don't know like to what degree like things that you have said to him up to that point kind of like play into his demeanor because like I think you know, you know, he, he's doubting and like nervous right now, but I don't know like if there's a certain version of this that plays out where he's maybe like even to some degree more confident in what he's doing 
depending on how you've talked to him up to this point. Because like at this point, I've been very dismissive of everything he's he's done and said. Um, and so like when I said you know you shouldn't do it, and but he was like it's too late, and like he was very nervous and just like I don't what what am I else am I supposed to do right now? Mm-hmm. Um, but then yeah, he did ask me to to pray with him, and I was like no. Um, I I basically was like I will bow my head, but I I'm not I don't got any prayers for you, like mm. you know because this was me kind of going back into my V mode, and I was like, uh and. Yeah, um, I think even in this situation, I don't think I'd feel right praying at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because in my mind, like I'm still on the case of like, is this a selfish act? Is he doing mm-hmm. a selfish thing? But also at this point, it doesn't even really matter. And it's about like this brain dance studio is about to do something that I think the entire like human world that civilization would normally find unconscionable would mm-hmm. would judge as you know a mm-hmm. crime to be done to a even to a consenting human being right and um but this is night city and this is going to happen and we're just going to have to and so this is kind of like almost where my v and and myself honestly like resign themselves to like this is happening mm-hmm. there is no putting a stop to this so I am going to try and emotionally remove myself from the situation as much as I can and just make sure that, you know, just, just be there as a spectator. Basically I I became a wallflower at this Mm. point because I was like, there's clearly no, there's no way that this is going to change. And also I don't know if it is my place to change any of this to affect change as like, do I also think it was wrong for Zuleika to get involved in this? Do I think it was wrong for the brain dance studio to get involved in this? Like I, am I any better by trying to involve myself in what this man decides to do with his life or what's left of it? Like Mm -hmm. at this point, maybe the best option is just to remove myself from the equation and I'll be there if he wants me to be there. But like after this, you know, he, he has us go into the studio and he asks us like, Hey, will you nail me to the cross? Mm -hmm. And at that point, I'm like, nope, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Number one, you're not getting me on camera. Number two, <laughs> <laughs> number two, like, no, I'm not going to be that. Because in that in that situation, I would be the one, like, you know, killing somebody else. And even though V is a person who kills people for money, like, that is a line that I feel my character had to draw and that I had to draw mm. to say like, no, I am not doing this. Like I am not part of this production. I am not the one I'm not endorsing this in, in any way. I'm just here because you wanted someone to witness this and I will give you that much, but yeah. nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was in some surprised. ways I almost felt like, no. yeah, in some ways I almost felt like angry at him at this point. Like, right you are asking so much of someone else in this situation. And I was right. surprised that he even asked me and like, and you know, that's just the game doesn't account for, like, you know, they didn't write where like, there would be a point where he did not ask V to do that thing. And they did not mm-hmm. offer the player that option. And I was just like, why would you ask, what has any of my behavior in the past two days that you've known me? What, what have I done that would make you think I'd ever do that? That I would yeah. ever be on board with not only like, that it's happening, but that you, you that I would be involved in it. I was just like, no, I like I'll sit and watch, and just like I might as well see it through, even though I think that you are a piece of shit murderer who fed into a delusion as like a way out, 
like you know this get out of jail free but also like get out of sin free card um mm-hmm. i'll i'll sit here while it happens but i'm not helping you i'm not like nothing in the way that i've spoken to you that i've talked about any of this has given you any reason to think that i would do that so no yeah I think it emphasizes the loneliness too. Cause I think that is one of the more profound parts mm-hmm. of this entire final thing that we get where like the screenshot you have in your notes, Ken is, is of him like kind of sitting on the cross, almost like contemplating what he's about to do before he like poses up on it. And that is like a profound moment in this game for me, because it emphasizes like we are all, alone in some way we're all going to enter this world alone and we're all going to leave this world alone in some way or another because like we cannot truly reach each other through those ways Mm -hmm. we're going to get into evangelion talk now let's talk (laughs) about breaking down at fields baby let's go (laughs) but um it is it is this moment where you just see the loneliness and and like him reaching out to you is almost like I don't even see it as like oh you'll do this for me won't you it's like him trying to have one last piece of human connection right like like almost in that way like would you rather be if you had to choose would you rather be killed like like have have someone that you love near you when you died or or someone that you don't know and for him like he doesn't have anybody else right. he mm-hmm. has alienated everyone from him even Zuleika to some extent the person who is probably responsible for his religious awakening uh can't like stomach him going through with this so he doesn't have anybody else so he reached out to the one person that he has been able to carry on a conversation with regardless of whether that was an amenable conversation or not and Mm -hmm. yeah then we have this really long segment of a dude being crucified (laughs) um there's no easy way of putting that we watch someone die and Mm -hmm. It is filmed like a movie production. There are like, we sit in a director's chair and it is lit and it is produced and it is in a Hollywood backdrop studio where you have the actual, like, I I like that there was no green screen or anything Mm -hmm. like this. They had the wooden Hollywood backdrops in here. And like, it was very much the, the studio they created was definitely made to like kind of evoke that, um hollywood studio mentality that honestly is not that common anymore but is very evocative of that era of the motion pictures the movies the movie industry and all that Mm -hmm. uh that really just brings that imagery home of like they are filming this for people's amusements Mm -hmm. people's entertainment and and that's where you have that moment of like how are people going to to see this are they going to see it as some great moment of introspection and awakening or is it going to be they're going to watch it for entertainment is it going to be like a spectacle is it going to be something that you watch and be like oh did you see this oh it's so wild oh my god you know not to like reduce it down to say like oh it's like two girls one cup or something but it's (laughs) fucking hell i mean like that was like that was that was an example that like came to my head about just like the like the very like mimetic way that people talk about like certain things that are like you know, like shock value or just like shock yes. sites and things like that. Yeah. Cause I think like that is very plausible that there's going to be like a non significant amount of the populace who views this thing, who does not have the reaction that he I, probably wanted. So, so right. look at, I, I keep thinking back to like, did y'all ever see the passion 
like mm-hmm. the movie The Passion? Yeah. No, but at a chapel during college, there was a speaker who projected the crucifixion scene behind him while he was having like a you know, come to Jesus part of his speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah. So I saw that so, part. Like all of the way that The Passion was talked about was like you were going to see this long, painfully drawn out representation of someone becoming a martyr and dying for your sins and there was as much as there was an effort to be like oh this is this is about the the beauty of the act and and like the giving away of the body for the sins there was also a lot of shock value inherent in that like you were going mm-hmm. to go watch a movie in a movie theater about someone dying for three hours like that is like there it is intended to shock you it is intended mm. to discomfort you yeah because I mean, do we want to get into really high-minded talk about like art is supposed to make you uncomfortable? Do we want to like like this is this is dealing with like heavy philo- philosophical stuff and and whether right. this is all by accident and CD Project Red just wanted to be like, "Hey, uh we're we're going to have a thing about a dude who like a death row inmate who wants to get crucified because he might convert people to his religion through brain brain dance or whatever." Like even if they kind of stumbled into it, which I don't think they did, to be clear. I don't mm-hmm. think they did. I think this is incredibly well-written and gets across a lot of the emotion that feels intended to come across. Right. Uh, but this is probably, I would argue, one of the best parts of cyberpunk and maybe one of the most cyberpunk things that happens in cyberpunk because it is a video game quest that doesn't just pose interesting questions but it also puts you in the role-playing section and constantly like tries to see how you the player feels about it and not in a way that's going to garner you points or or level you up or anything like that but it is just asking you questions yeah and you are having to engage with it because of that and i think that is really incredible and really made this stand out honestly through everything we've done in the season uh this was amazing honestly i think Mm. it's like deeply thoughtful if only because of like the parallels that it seems like cd project red is drawing between what this guy's crucifixion and like the life of jesus is like recorded in the bible because like like it uses like the way that like side quests often start with like your character getting drawn into it for no reason like it sort of feels weird in this that this guy is drawn to you immediately but then if you think about like you know if if you think about your character as like a a judas stand-in in this that is like the way that like jesus is written to have called his disciples right is that it just is like he just is like saying come follow me and then they leave mm-hmm. their stuff and just follow him and that is sort of what you do in this quest and like the fact that the crucifixion in the game is like a spectacle right like it is filmed and will be distributed as like entertainment mirrors like the way that crucifixions were yeah. in like yeah. the ancient culture right like it was like mm-hmm. go get your friends go watch the cruise i mean that's how executions was... have often like right right functioned right is that they're like it during the french revolution like it's all public it, it like mm-hmm. functions as like okay well what else are we gonna do like we're bored let's go watch it but also is like a designed to scare people out of you know committing crimes because it's like well i've seen how brutal that is i don't want to ever do anything that would get me in that situation right 
right. the brain dance, I feel like sort of is working on that level too. You know, like it's a very thoughtful quest. Like if if it if it was something that they just stumbled into, I don't feel like there would be all of these analogs between like the source that they're drawing from and the art that they're producing here. Hmm. Ken, how did you kind of walk away from this quest? Like, what was your ultimate? Because after a while, we get a call from Rachel, yep. and we get kind of the fill in on how the BD came out. And in mine, I guess I did not make him doubt enough because I just kind of got a thing that was like, "Hey, it's a hit. Everybody's watching it." And my view was like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." And Rachel mm. was like, "Money's in your bank account, superstar." And I just gave like the most apathetic, like, whatever answer mm-hmm. and just moved on with my life i felt like that was the right not the right ending but like it felt right to how i ended that mm-hmm. and i don't know like felt very like properly bittersweet like like it was this moment of like well that was another day in night city you know mm-hmm. and and just kind of moving on to the next thing like v's got other problems v's got other stuff and lives intersected for a moment and profound things happened and big questions were asked and now it is just back to the churn of night city Mm. and that's that and v's got to go take care of other things and can't ruminate too much on it and the world can't ruminate too much on it and Mm. i i felt like that was the way that like like i i felt obviously unsettled you know the the money felt bad but it was just another day in Night City. It was just another job in Night City. So that's that's how it ends. Mm. And that's how this one ended. And I'm curious what your kind of like ending was like, Ken. Yeah, I got a different version of it because Rachel called me and she was just livid because he doubted, he hesitated, and they were not able to get like the experience that they wanted out of this BD. Mm. So it's basically like the entire production and the BD that it has created is useless to them. Like they... Like, it was a complete wash. I still get my money, because that was how it was all orchestrated. But, right. um, yeah, I felt like, you know, a sense of, like, snarky, almost satisfaction, like, self-satisfaction about it. Because, like, this is, I feel like, like I said earlier, like, this is the one time this game has tapped into my own nihilism. Um, mm-hmm. because, to me, like, I'm, I'm sorry, like, to me, I, I've felt that religion is, like, an inherently meaningless thing because within it is in the belief that what happens on earth doesn't matter because there's a higher power that orchestrates it and also you will go into ascend to a higher plane of existence because you believed in it so nothing that actually happens on earth matters mm. and because that mm. is you know so core to some of the, some of these belief systems that is how awful things happen on earth because people think that they're going to be rewarded for doing it later or rewarded for their inaction later and mm-hmm. So, like, when I hear that this guy is trying to, you know, create this thing that is going to more or less indoctrinate other people, the only hopeful expression I have in the end is to not... It's to, like, have sabotaged that in some way that there are... Like, to me, like, I, I think because people did not watch that, there are going to be less people who are apathetic to the real world because they think that there's another world waiting for them. And... That is, in a weird way, hopeful, in a, like the, the, a weird Cyberpunk 2077 way of me being like, okay, here we've, in one way, moved past this thing that is halting people, like, you know, caring for each other in a way that is always productive and, like, helpful. And now, you know, th- there's this, this one less thing that is interfering with that. And, you know, that was never 
that might not have been Stevenson's like you know grander vision of what he was doing. Like he didn't think that was you know, he doesn't believe that that's you know what I, religion facilitates to begin with. So that is all that is all me. That is all my internal role playing of like why I think this is the better version of these things and th- these events and is ultimately the one that feels like it is helping things to move forward. And that is you know it's a very small thing in the grand scheme of like organized religion in the world. But it is something that I like was able to, like, be the sand of the microchip for. That, I like, and you know that is very bitter. That is very nihilistic. That is very cynical. But ultimately, like, I just, like I said, this is like the one time I think that the game is talking about something. That like you know, for all the assertions that everything that Judy was going through, that the game ultimately I think undermines is like, you know, this cannot be better because this is how Night City is. This was the only way for me to get out of this situation feeling like I was truthful to my own beliefs of, like, why I think something is harmful or why I think something is ultimately, like, you know, reveling in a different kind of cynicism. And so, like, I don't know. Like, it's... It, the quest is great because, like, it did elicit all those emotions. I mean, we had, like, all this discussion about it that, you know, we we all, even in the midst of, like, you know, being on different spectrums of belief, had, you know, like, we just had like, these, like, very like, huge discrepancies in how we viewed what was going on, and it was only only times that the game was, like, really showing something that's, you know, it, it is shock value, it is gruesome, and in, instead of just being like, wow, that was kind of fucked up, right, look at this really edgy, weird thing that we did, like, it actually asked questions, it actually, like, wanted to use its world within in a way that felt like it was having a commentary on something, and so, I don't know, like, I, I kind of, like, imagined my V just kind of, like, shaking his head as, as he left the studio, and then just kind of smirking as he hung up on Rachel, because, like, mm. Yeah, that is cynical in a way, but it is also like the only hopeful expression that I have in, in all of this because it is so tied up in something that taps into my nihilism and my frustrations with the way that our world works in the same ways that uh, Night City is trying to kind of like commodify these things. Mm. So, yeah, it's just a lot of feelings tied together, and if I couldn't stop it, I at least got to fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Andrew, any last thoughts on Cinderman? Good quest. Best quest in the game, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's... I think, like, there are other good quests in the game, but I doubt there's any that I would be able to talk for this long about, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it just brings in a lot of real-world baggage, <laughs> like, that... Like, I think, like, all of us grew up in America, and, like, it's difficult to avoid Christianity in any... In, in some way, if you grow up here, and, like, we all, I think, have that sort of baggage that the game is able to tap into as a result mm-hmm. of, like, having lived here, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I do want to, like, reemphasize, like, CD Projekt Red, whoever, like, was, was behind the writing of this quest and worked on this quest, like, clearly either talked to the right people or experienced a lot of this themselves because they... Mm-hmm got so many of the little details right, right that like really brought the whole thing together and yeah I, I think in so many ways the how often I was doubting myself doubting the game questioning myself questioning my beliefs questioning whether my beliefs were right to hold or not and and mm. where I was you know I, I joked earlier about how the Delamine thing was like um me being okay with making a decision that 
uh, both sides didn't necessarily want, but that I thought was for the right thing. Whereas this one, I basically abdicated myself of all ability to interject mm-hmm. and just said, I'm going to stand back and just not do anything. But in that way, that's, that's still making a choice. And I feel like the game even acknowledges that, that you just not doing anything, even if you decide to not, if you decide to take the money and walk, you know, mm-hmm. all the way back at the burger stand, mm-hmm. you are making a conscious decision to let things play out along their natural path rather than interject. And I think in the way that we talked about gun money um, or gun music, sorry, uh, last week, I almost said last episode <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, with, with Alan earlier, uh, this is really almost just as much commenting on what interjecting means and right. what putting yourself in these sorts of situations means and, and ultimately like how much agency can can correspond into feelings of guilt and whether you should have guilt over any of this or not like i think this is all just fascinating stuff and Mm -hmm. is is maybe like when i think about the parts of cyberpunk that i do wish were maybe more talked about because even like proponents of cyberpunk that i've seen don't necessarily talk about this stuff they talk about other aspects of this game like oh i love living in a cyberpunk city and Mm. and nowhere else does that and stuff like that Mm -hmm. i get that but this is when when i think of like the redeeming factors of cyberpunk like center man is top of mind Mm, Uh, and and it's it's probably going to stay that way as we continue through the season but we've got much more content to go so before we head into our last section for this side quest episode uh, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and plug some stuff where the people can find you and the wonderful things you do on the internet. You can find my writing at the Gamer website, where I'm sure I'll have some new articles about Cyberpunk up by the time you read this. And you can follow me on Twitter at FunnelChest94. Heck yeah. And we will see all of you in just a little bit with the last of our side quests for this episode. Don't go anywhere. This is Kerry Uridine, and you're listening to Norman DFM Cyberpunk 2077 Retrospective. And we're back with the final section of our SideQuest episode for Norman DFM Cyberpunk 2077 Act 2. Ken, it's been a long journey here, hasn't it? It has. <laughs> we remember at the beginning of this episode? <laughs> no, I don't like, remember like, that just... anymore. It's been so long since we yeah. actually recorded that. Yeah. Remember the beginning when I was like, ah, these will be short sections. Anyways, uh, thank you if you stuck with us for this long through the episode. I think as, we've done uh, all right in terms of keeping it short for two out of the three things we've recorded so, thus far. Mm, so, like, if we get yeah, this, if yeah. this one's short, then, you know, that's the majority of the show. And then we, you know, we mostly stuck with what we said we were going to do. Well, we'll see how short this one is as Ken and I wrap up some of the impactful side quest from cyberpunk 2077 act two starting with the ballad of buck ravers now ken you selected this one specifically and i'm kind of interested to hear why you uh wanted to talk about this one in particular i think it's interesting on a few fronts one it's there are actual moments where you kind of get to establish if v really give the shit about who johnny is in any way like you know the game has Mm -hmm. uh broadly put them as like adversarial characters at the beginning and then they're like slowly starting to get to know each other and warm up to each other but you know it never really except for here talks about like was v a fan 
a samurai? Was it, did, does V know who Johnny is? Like, anything beyond, you know, the terrorism that he did? And also, it's, like, one of the only chances outside of, you know, the actual Johnny quests that, ha- that we're going to get to a few episodes from now, uh, where it feels like Johnny is actually, like, trying to kind of impart some knowledge and information about music and the things that he has done mm. in his past. Um, and so that was just, like, an interesting thing that made this stick out to me. And what is honestly, like, a pretty understated quest... Um, it's not, you know, it's not one of the ones that you have any kind of combat in. It's not some sort of, like, detective mystery thing, like, one of the ones that we're going to talk about in this section. And it's just, you know, this really, like, kind of small, mostly benign, but kind of sweet moment between Johnny and V. Well, I mean, depending on how you react to him, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty short quest overall, and I found that it was one of the ones that, I mean, literally, I had to seek it out. I did not really stumble onto this one mm-hmm. uh and it does seem like one of those ones that is pretty easily missable uh because it starts by just finding a busker on the street and uh johnny sits down next to him and kind of asks v uh what we think of the busker and we can say like hey you know sounds all right or we could say he's an amateur uh but johnny talks a bit about how the technique is flawed but he's got like the right emotion behind mm-hmm. uh you know that that feeling of He's not a practiced musician, but his emotion, his passion is making up Mm -hmm. for it. And, uh, you know, Johnny starts going off about, you know, how we sold out and uh, blah, 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 blah. We're samurai. We we played whatever we could, man. We were (laughs) we were we were punk. We we did what we could. Yeah. and and a lot of different discussion happens here of of Johnny absolutely being uh, one of those rockers who believes in keeping your ideals versus selling out mm. to the man and stuff like that. Uh, we we hear mention of some bootlegs that might exist, uh, some old recordings of samurai of their live stuff that that might still drift around and and there's actually a venue close by that that johnny used to play and so we we go there and as a chef uh (laughs) informs us uh there there is no club here anymore it is now a shop it's actually the same shop that we stop at for uh dream on Mm. but uh yeah it's it it's not the club that it used to be. So that's hit number one to Johnny's ego mm-hmm. <laughs> and Johnny's rep. Um, but apparently there's an old guy who keeps coming in who actually runs a stall nearby, uh, a regular who, who stops in pretty often. Uh, so we head over there and he, there's this dude just completely decked out in samurai merch. And he's got a big mm-hmm. stall full of samurai, everything, and then we ask if he's got samurai stuff, which I still think is very funny. Um, right. But uh, he starts talking about how he's the biggest fan, and uh, he just it, it is the ultimate encapsulation of fanboyism and fandom of of one thing. And I I look at this and I'm like, yeah, this is this could be interesting for cyberpunk to explore. What, what is Johnny going to think about somebody? Uh, like devoting their whole life to this stuff uh mm-hmm. and something that's long gone as well exactly and uh we we point out that you know we we want the bootlegs but the guy is of course going to gatekeep us a little bit and check mm-hmm. our fandom so to speak 
and uh we can try to say you know a, a couple different things uh i went with the last words to carry which the fan points yep. out how would anyone know that stuff um right. we can also try to say that we used to go to the venue but uh the fan also points out there's no way we're that old. Uh, so he asks for proof, asks what happened during Samurai's third gig. Uh, Johnny shows up and tells us something about him smashing his guitar while it's on fire, and it was a lie. And the fan calls <laughs> us on it. And Johnny's like, <laughs> you know, we get mad. And Johnny's like, what, I'm bored. <laughs> it's funny to do this, which was pretty good i like that a mm-hmm. bit uh and then he tells the truth there was a fire somebody tries to put it out um and and we we get the okay with the fan we we clear the gates and uh he <laughs> gives us a recording to spread the good word of samurai and so at this point you know that this is pretty much the end of the quest but we do have one more little chat with johnny at this point and Johnny kind of talks about how this fan is still stuck in the 2020s. You know, yeah. uh, that was when Samurai was big and Arasaka Tower happened and all that. Uh, and Johnny starts talking about, you know, how part of what Samurai was doing and what they were trying to do was to move forward and enact change. And this guy mm-hmm. is still stuck in that era. But also right. Night City is still in that era not much is really that different from when johnny was around and arasaka tower he blew it up and it's already back and all that um yeah it's kind of the weird note that we end on with this quest is the Mm. only thing that's changed is the facade the way they're packaging it and selling it to you and i i did kind of dig this as a way to delve a little bit deeper into what johnny is probably going through seeing or at least what johnny's uh you know engram is going through uh seeing all this and seeing how little has actually changed i do feel like this is a nice little uh tack on to make johnny feel a little bit more a part of the story and not just this joker character that pops in and comments on things all the time and it feels like it kind of taps into why he was so like pessimistic about everything that Judy wanted to do and so like dismissive of everything because like he's now sitting back and like oh this thing that I did that was supposed to have been like this huge wake up moment for Night City just it didn't mean anything and there are people who are still 50 years kind of like holding on to that idea but not actually doing anything more than just like reminiscing about it and yeah so I, I like that as just, like a Johnny moment in a game that does not feel like as I'm you know I've, as I've played forward it does not feel like the Johnny moments come up very much until the, the like the latest act in the game, and uh, so it just kind of felt like nice to have a moment where he was talking to V on like a very grounded level of, you know, at the very beginning about music. Like you, that was kind of like a point for us to establish if, if V had any like musical know-how, um, and you know, just being able to connect on about something other than the fact that they're stuck together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's why I dug this this quest and. I like that note that it kind of ends on as Johnny is starting to reflect on the things that he has done and the ways that he's gone about these things. Uh, and maybe just, you know, having some level of introspection in the midst of all of this. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice nice little aside. Um, very different from my experience with our next quest, Happy mm-hmm. Together. <laughs> Which I accidentally did the bad route for. 
Oops. So, um, Happy Together is actually a side quest you can start pretty early on. I usually end up doing it uh, near the beginning of Act 2, because you literally walk by the start for it. But uh, it's a couple cops banging on uh, an apartment door uh, pretty close to ours, uh, just a little way away from ours. And... Uh, when we ask what's up, you know, they're like, oh, mind your own business. And, and then another one points out, hey, we're, we're the neighbor. They probably, they might at least know this guy. Mm. The guy inside is Barry, who's an ex-cop that kind of lost his, became disillusioned after the death of a friend. Uh, and so they ask us to check in on Barry for him. And uh, guess what? We're going to finally talk about the NCPD. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we check on him and we say, we'll, we'll, we'll come back later. And whether you go and do some stuff and come back or whether you just go take a nap and come back, uh, he will finally respond. Uh, we can kind of give him, uh, some, some idea of who we are. Uh, we can kind of shoot the shit about a couple different things. Uh, we talk about cars cause apparently Ken's really into cars. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't know if you know this about me. Ken loves big cars. on vehicles. Um, and so he asks why we want to check in on him. Did someone send us? What's up? And then we we can say his friends are worried about him, uh, and and wanted us to check it check in on him. Uh, he invites us in and says uh, he lost someone, uh, and we can kind of talk about loss, uh, because we can obviously at this point talk a little bit about Jackie and uh, Barry can talk a little bit about his friend Andrew. He tells us uh, basically the story of how he became disillusioned. Uh, he was on the force, on the NCPD, and uh, he was dealing with a Maelstrom gang member. And this, this Maelstrom member killed a kid right in front of him. But because the Maelstrom member had some friends in high places, the, the NCPD chief rules the kid's death a suicide. Uh, shortly after, uh, Barry's friend Andrew also died. So Barry's kind of been losing it andrew was kind of the the person that he used to check in with and touch base with and and kind of kept him grounded um and and barry says the the two who came to check on him are nice but they're just not good at this kind of stuff or they they really think that you know you gotta be you gotta be a cop you gotta be tough Mm. you can't get affected by this uh we asked how andrew died it was of old age which is surprising given Night City mm-hmm. and it, the way it moves. And uh, we can kind of tell him to move on or that everybody has their limits and acting like you just have to stomach it, just have to bottle it, uh, won't help anyone, which is the route I took. I think it's the route you took as well, Ken. Um, yeah. But he wonders if, if that might make him soft. And MV can be like, if, if you felt nothing, then then the death wouldn't have any meaning. So. Right. At this point, we can go tell the cops we checked in on him, but we can also go find Andrew's niche, uh, which reveals to us that Andrew is not a person. It's a tortoise. It's it's a tortoise. It's an emotional support tortoise. Uh, Pretty much. Shout, yeah. out, shout outs to Andrew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so at this point, what you are supposed to do is go back and tell the cops specifically about Andrew. Uh, if you do not do that, like I did, and you just go back and tell the cops, hey, he needs someone to talk to, uh, and don't mention Andrew, they will not do that. 
and it is highly implied that Barry kills himself afterwards, which is what happened to me. So be sure that when your friend's tortoise dies, you tell their cop friends about it, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, part of it is, I, I feel like the A to B of that, like we just talked about in the heroes section of this work, I'm like, it does not do a good job of kind of like foreshadowing that one choice is going to result in some, something so catastrophically different. I think like the the point kind of underlying point being like these cops don't see their friend the way that you have now and the way that you understand them. Like they lack this understanding. Yeah, yeah. And so like you, by you telling them, Hey, here's specifically what's going on and here's why he's not coming to you and why he felt like more comfortable talking to his pet than he did his colleagues that's supposed to like give them this new understanding and everyone is supposed to just kind of like come around and move forward for the better and like be able to have these conversations with each other. And I think I like, I like that underlying thing, but like that there is this other ending that is so dramatically worse uh, for, you know, without a real butterfly effect being made apparent uh, did not sit well with me, uh, especially for a game that has as fraught, uses of suicide as this game does yeah i i I ultimately am not that mad because i get it you know this is a very video game thing of if you went to go do the optional thing right use the optional thing and maybe this is just me getting annoyed with the way it describes certain things because i've played other games the, the two options that would exist here right is either you have something like the mass effect wheel where you have you know, options on the right-hand side, which are kind of your normal ones, but maybe ones Mm -hmm. pop up on the left-hand side that are like, oh, you did the special thing or you have enough Paragon points or whatever, so you can select that one. That makes it pretty plain, but also sometimes I feel too plain. Uh, But if you're going to go the route that Cyberpunk did, which is closer to something like Fallout or whatever, where you have the just list of different responses that you can give and you select one, uh, I do wish there was a bit more clarity in what V mm-hmm. ends up saying. And I think this was the quest that kind of planted that seed for me that then later uh, showed much more in, in, in other quests where it was like certain dialogue responses just did not feel like they matched up. And I know that's a very difficult art and, and it's difficult to convey, you know, let's say th- an entire exchange that's going to happen uh, with just one short line of text. Uh, but it does feel like, you know, I I don't particularly mind the way I saw this. If nothing else, it means that like, I got to see the, uh, the way it all panned out. And cause the first time I played it, I got the, I don't know what you want to call it. Good ending. Uh, and I, I'm fine with seeing the other side and kind of getting that view of it too, because I think the other side kind of, I don't know. How do I want to put this? It both, all of this all together doesn't really address like a core underlying theme of all this, which is like, Hey, it sounds like Barry is deeply unhappy because the NCPD is a problem. Right. And his friends are like not being accepting of, of that in general. And does Barry want to stay friends with people who are mm-hmm. clearly okay with corruption? And it, it's just like you peel away a layer on this, and it's like, yes, this is a, a thing about helping someone who needs mental health help get that help in some way. 
but in another way i i feel like this quest just feels very shallow at the end of the day i, I don't mm-hmm. know it feels like it goes surface level on the stuff it's talking about and and right. and ends up using either you know the death or just death in general as shock value or uh it's just like uh they talked and their feelings were solved and everybody's happy now good job we don't need that tortoise after all and <laughs> I, yeah. I just ended up walking away. Like I, I've looked at some of the other ones. Like like the Ballad of Buck Ravers is a good example of how you do a short quest that has a lot of stuff in it. And Happy Together feels like it's going to get somewhere and just doesn't. So yeah. I, I don't know. Let's talk about Dream On. Uh, this is probably the meatiest one we've got today. Certainly it's the last one we've got, the side quests. Uh, it's a follow-up to the Parala stuff from the River episode. Uh, Elizabeth Perales calls us, or no, wait, is it? I thought it was Elizabeth Perales that calls us, but is it Mr. Perales? I think it was Jefferson. It was Jeff. Yeah, okay. Was Jefferson. Um, because like I think we, we are technically considered the his client for this one uh, as opposed to the last time okay. when we were kind of like both. Of, well, I think I think she called us first. Then yeah, because uh, that's why we have to report back to him later. Right. Well, we are called by Perales and says, you know need some help but can't talk about it over the phone as always uh we head back to the paralysis place and they start explaining this weird situation um that they had happen the night before uh they had a break-in but it was a bit unusual uh, a few nights back I should say a few nights back uh mr paralysis jefferson paralysis comes out of his bedroom after hearing a noise and sees someone a figure and he he has his gun with him as apparently everybody in night city does <laughs> and can't shoots. go piss without can't go piss without a gun yeah well i guess we haven't really talked about it but it is kind of weird that night city is pretty much everyone is packing and it's considered pretty normal to have a firearm of some kind in night city mm. to the point like we talked about the second amendment store in our right. super block earlier that it's basically like a bodega for firearms but and the ads around are like around the city safe and they're like the second amendment isn't only for the rich yeah it's it's definitely got a view and i get that for both gameplay reasons and cyberpunk dystopia reasons it makes sense to have weapons be so prevalent and everywhere mm. uh but it was just i think this was the first time i really stopped and thought like hey huh yeah everyone is packing in this game right. <laughs> uh so we we asked some questions uh he says he passed out after he shot the intruder and woke up in his bed uh we ask why they haven't called NCPD, and they say they want somebody trusted uh, as minimal public involved. If they call the cops in, then the media are going to show up. It's going to be a whole thing. Uh, so we keep asking more questions. Nothing's missing or damaged. We don't know how Jefferson passed out and woke up in his bed. Uh, Elizabeth says she slept right through it, which is bizarre. Uh, and they don't remember much of the intruder's physical description beyond he might have had a mask or face implant. Uh as for the security, the security basically was like, we didn't see anything, and they showed the footage, and there wasn't anything there. And and security is being handled by a company called SSI, uh, an organization that came recommended to the paralysis, but uh, V in their corpo 
uh, mode can can note that SSI is not a particularly prevalent organization mm. compared to something like Arasaka or Miltech. Uh, and they they just say like, oh, SSI is uh, recommended, came recommended. So we decide we're going to look around. Jefferson takes off and Elizabeth uh, can give us a tour. Uh, Elizabeth is frustrated, clearly. Um, the campaign's been very clean so far. They have not mm. gotten gotten in bed with any corpos or organizations or anything. They've tried to resist the usual amount of bribes and promises that go along with campaigning. Uh, and suddenly SSI is throwing a wrench into everything. And we can, we can look around a lot. Uh, I, I like how much stuff there is to just kind of look at here before you mm-hmm. start to stumble on it. In fact, uh, the thing that eventually kind of clicks and brings it all together was so obscure that Ken was frustrated, frustratedly pointing me at it <laughs> while we were playing. <laughs> um, but we do notice some weird stuff. I think one part in particular is Elizabeth not remembering the color of the roses at her own wedding, uh, which was weird. We find some faded blood stains, and we find a concealed door. And then we head over to this giant TV screen, which we can try to repair, and it scrambles us. It fries us, basically. Uh, and so we realize, like, hey we need to do something there's there's something going on here so we can either pry the hidden door open or we can hack their computer and get inside and once we get in we find basically a hidden room with a bloody first aid kit and uh a a ladder that theoretically goes up to the roof which we were supposed to take to go find something as elizabeth gathers herself over this shocking revelation that there is a surveillance room watching their bedroom and all that stuff uh but boy i could not get up that roof i could not get on there there was just some weird bizarre thing where it was not working yeah uh, i didn't work for me either and it was apparently like a known glitch but they just never fixed it luckily mm-hmm. like, you don't have to go that way but if you have to go like the roundabout way yeah. instead yeah. for no real reason um we go the roundabout way and basically find that there is an old radar uh dish that's basically a direct connection uh that we can then follow to a van down on the ground so we tell elizabeth hey we're gonna go check out this van you you be chill you hang out you collect yourself calm yourself about all these revelations and before we leave elizabeth tells us hey don't tell jefferson anything about this we don't want to tell him anything until we're certain because we don't want to just worry him with all this stuff, you know, which I'm like secret room in your house. Maybe mm-hmm. you should know. Uh, we follow the van and go on a little bit of a chase uh, and eventually track the track these bad guys down and end up in a shooting match with all of them. Uh, and they're pretty tough guys. I got to say, yeah, it was a bit of a There's shootout. A... Yeah. <laughs> um, once we take them all out, we can jack into the van and try and get some info. We basically find out that we've got tons of footage and tons of info on the paralysis. They're being spied on and manipulated and possibly even brainwashed. So we got a bit of a... Well, I haven't seen in a while, but I think the Manchuria candidate was about this. But, um, you know, basically this controlling a politician through brainwashing sort mm. of thing. So we decide we're going to talk to Elizabeth and, and give her the end. By the way, uh, we get 
traced back on that info and whoever uh, has been doing this notices that we were finding all this info right. and remotely erases all of it. So we don't have hard, hard proof, but uh, we go to meet up with Elizabeth at the local shop, the local, uh, I think it's like a ramen eatery or something like mm. that. Um, and she tells us once we meet her there incognito is that she was aware to some degree that something had been going on because she had multiple instances of things not lining up. She felt like she remembered seeing the hidden room before. Uh, at one point, Jefferson describes a vacation that she didn't remember. Uh, the one that really like gut punched me a little bit is Jefferson mentions uh, or, or Elizabeth mentions, we should go to your brother's grave. And Jefferson says, what are you talking about? I was an only child. And mm. that's the real freaky one to me, uh, even more than fake memories of a vacation or something like that. Right. Uh, and so as she started looking into things, she ends up getting a phone call at some point threatening her and basically saying, hey, this idyllic life that you're leading could all go away very fast. It could all be ruined forever. You don't want that, do you? Uh, so she was kind of blackmailed into keeping on with the brainwashing. And she wants us to go along with the story that SSI is spying on Jefferson for a rival candidate and not tell him about any of the brainwashing or potential changing of his mind. And she tells us, you know, she doesn't know if she'll remember this conversation or not, but is counting on Jeff counting on us to keep Jefferson in the dark. So he doesn't look into things potentially put himself in danger. Uh, so she leaves and Johnny pops up and starts comparing everything that's been happening with them to us. And, you know, we, we talk a little bit and Johnny's definitely all about taking down that corpo conspiracy. You know, he loves mm -hmm. the idea of chasing down all the red yarn and red ties and all that. Uh, but we head out, we got to go talk to Jefferson. We got to talk at reconciliation park, uh, about what's going on. And, and on our way there, we get our systems hacked and we pass out. We get a message saying that no matter what we tell them, we can't change anything. Whoever this is, whatever they're doing, they know who we are and we're playing with fire right now. So we go up to Jefferson and we tell him, you know, Elizabeth, you know, or he tells us, sorry, Elizabeth has, has filled him in about what's been going on with SSI. And now we kind of decide whether we want to tell him more or not. And I went with the option to tell him because I mm -hmm. think in this situation, it's very much, I would not want this information held from me. And right. so I can't treat someone else that way. You know, I can't deceive somebody else if I wouldn't want that information told. And right. I think it's clearly gone beyond any ethical boundaries you might be able to somehow justify, even if you could try to justify someone being unknowingly brainwashed and all that but uh you know better to know what's going on and try to formulate something and i definitely tried to talk jefferson into a place of you know don't reveal that you know anything just yet wait for your moment wait until you can mm -hmm. see some things slipping up and then take your chance but like be aware of what's going on uh i think you went the same route ken yeah and my thinking was, I guess, a bit more, like, big picture, because my my thought was, like, 
for all of like his good intentions and things that he wants to do as a politician, a politician who is being controlled by some other force cannot do right by the people of Night City. Mm-hmm. And so this is me, you know, it it might put him in danger, but like having that politician, you know, in you know a state of power in the city is only going to be worse for the people under them, and. I, I sympathized with uh, Elizabeth's in- intentions, like, trying to protect him, trying to protect her family and her livelihood. Because, like, th- there's a point where, like, as the conversation's going on, you- and you can reveal that she is aware of these things, and he gets very upset. And I just, like, I did try to at least advocate for her on that front, because, like, I I get it. Like, you're in a really shitty situation, and you're wanting to do... Because, like, I mean, there's some framing that I think is valid that you might think that she's trying to just, like, keep her you know, glamorous life as the wife of a major politician. But I, I was more sympathetic to her and thinking, like, no, I think she's trying to do what's best for her, her husband, their, their child. And as much as I sympathize with that, this, has, this is bigger than them. Mm. And that was why, that was my thought process. Because, like, I don't, I mean, you know, we don't really know what, what he does after this. Because, like, it doesn't really, my hope would be that he would no longer run. Oh, no wait, did you not happening. get the follow-up on this? Uh, I mean, I got the the text from Elizabeth later. If that's what you're mm-hmm. referring to. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, like I I did get the text from her, and she's basically like, "I know you're trying to help, but stay away from my family because before you cause more harm than you already have." And I was just like, "Yeah, fine, okay, that's a valid way to feel about all of this." But like I said, just to me, it was bigger than them, and it, it you know they might be individually in more danger now, but fewer people will be under the thumb of whoever this third party is in the long run. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to remember because there was a... I feel like I got something from Jefferson in this part about contact not found or something like that, but was that Elizabeth? Yeah, because it says... um, It says you get a message that she's blocked you. Hmm. Gotcha. I got like a contact not found thing, and so I'm trying to find what that was specifically. Oh. Hmm. Um, yeah, it, it kind of leaves off on a shaky note, and uh, I, I think the creepiest part of all this, aside from uh, a dude we're going to talk about here in a second, but Johnny mentions that you, know, you can be like, I wonder who's behind this. And Johnny's like, it could not even be people behind this. You know, there's still rogue AIs from out beyond the the black wall out there. Uh, and that could easily be part of this, too. Like, there's no way to know. And there is a character we can spy here. Oh, during... well, real, real quick, before we get into that, I, I am looking at it now. Apparently, he still runs either way. Mm-hmm. but And he wins, but not with the same landslide. If you don't tell Cause, him. Because, like... Yeah, if, if you if you don't tell him he wins by 70, 70.7%. Um, and if you tell him about it, he falls into it in a state of extreme paranoia, wins with a 49.3% of the vote, and will later contact V to air his suspicions that his wife is part of the conspiracy. Hmm. I don't, I don't doubt that, that I've got... That that is what happens, but I don't think I got that text yet. So basically nothing changes. Cyberpunk 2077. Um, anyways, during all this, there's a man watching 
off in the distance uh named mr blue eyes you can actually like scan and notice and stuff like Mm -hmm. that uh and ken you can probably fill us in a bit more on this but this is a character that pops up somewhere else as well yeah he shows up in one of the endings of the game and i when i first played this game i didn't do dream on like i didn't actually get around to this quest so i never saw him here so i didn't know what to think of him when i saw him later um and so it does kind of like leave a larger cloud in question over one of the endings of this game and you know giant like you know he talked about all these things about like oh there are these ais maybe on the black wall that might be uh you know part of this and ultimately like i think what dream on like you know it's it's a very interesting quest because it's, it's you know more of the detective stuff that we did with reverb and feels you know like it's feeding into kind of like larger more tangible both both like sci-fi elements and also like the politics and conspiracies that go mm-hmm. beyond like mm-hmm. you know the, the kind of like abstract rants that johnny goes on and all of that comes together to it feels like one of the only instances that this game is dealing in cliffhangers because mm. Honestly, like, I mean, okay, this is part of, like, a broader, you know, tabletop franchise, but a lot of the stuff that happens in this game feels relatively contained. Like, it's not, you know, things don't necessarily always cleanly end, but, like, they aren't presented in ways that feel like they're leading to something. Hmm. Um, And I think had Mr. Blue Eyes not shown up in one of the endings, I would maybe be more inclined to think that was also the case here. But now this character feels like, you know, this thing in the background that we don't really know what their goals are we don't really know uh you know why they i mean we can kind of assume based on the fact that they're trying to like control a politician but then you know the stuff that happens at the end of the game not necessarily about a politician about other things and you know all seemingly leading towards something and i don't really know if whatever that was is actually going to come to fruition considering everything that happened with this game um mm. but it does you know raise new questions that I did not have the first time I played this game. Yeah. I, I like this quest a lot, mostly because it feels the most, uh, like ghost in the shell out of Mm -hmm. all the stuff we've played so far very much, you know, shadowy organizations and lots of hacking and secret rooms and, you know, political thriller type stuff. Uh, I, I dug it for that. Uh, and it does make me wonder whether this is a thread that, CD Projekt Red maybe intends to pick up with the story DLC whenever that mm-hmm. comes out, or if it was a planned uh, larger piece of the pie before they got, you know, to the end and realized, you know, this is what we got to do. But I, I do think this is one of the more interesting side quests that we've done here. Uh, not quite Sinner Man on that level, but definitely something that was worth seeking out and doing, right. if only to add more flavor to the actual politics of night city right. and who runs night city and what does that mean to be the mayor in a city that is largely run by corpos and, and things like that uh i i dug it i thought it was a good way mm-hmm. to, to cap off the side quests for act two yeah uh, for sure but that'll do we're done with the act two side quests uh titanic undertaking uh thank you so <laughs> much to alan and andrew for coming on to chat with us about what they dug from it and uh for for everyone who stuck it through all the way to get to the end of this episode thank you so much as always we are norm dfm a retrospective podcast we have covered many different games including mass effect and hey the last of us which has i mean as of this recording has a new game coming out soon but by the time this recording is up for the free feed 
will have already been out for a while because of the magic of <laughs> delayed <laughs> releasing our episodes. But if you want to support what we do, you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm and back us. Any amount will get you into the Discord where people are chatting and talking about Cyberpunk 2077 at the next up level you will get these episodes once ken is done editing them rather than having to wait for the free feed and at the highest level you get your name shouted out on every single episode we record as recent as when we update these and this episode that list is mercedes cluis meredith shane erickson darius pippins and genevieve barba thank you all so much for contributing and helping us do the things that we do Uh, We do have another episode coming up. It'll be Takamura. We'll get back onto the main quest line. But Ken, we're we're blasting through Cyberpunk 2077. We are getting within... We're we're getting spitting distance of finishing this game. We got five episodes left. (laughs) Hallelujah. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) Oh, but for Ken, for Alan, for Andrew, for everybody who tuned in, and for myself, thank you all so much for listening and we'll catch you next time on normandy fm